0: You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, your Joyologist, Trisha Huffman. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me, talking about our journeys, how they've made the things happen in their life, fears and doubts that they've had to overcome, how they did that, how they listened to themselves, all of those juicy bits. I love hearing about people's stories. And today we are hearing about Jason Robel. He is a celebrity chef, the co-founder of The well Elevator, a wellness wizard, <laughs> and a singer-songwriter amongst many things. Very cool. He was the first vegan chef with a primetime TV show taught millions of people how to prepare delicious, healthy, plant based meals with the groundbreaking series of How to Live to 100. He has his own podcast coming out now called This Might Get Uncomfortable. That's pretty funny. I love talking with Jason. We got into (laughs) some really deep conversations, Um, some things talking about his childhood, running into his homeless father on the streets of LA. Uh, his sort of struggle or trying to figure out what masculinity had to be and that sort of thing as being a man in this world. Yeah, so it was really, I love, love, love talking to people. And I really loved this conversation with Jason. So here we go.
1: Maybe I should just keep this going and just, it (laughs) just... pop a couple humans out you know just be go full go full um seahorse full male seahorse and just start popping babies out
0: do you think you're collecting animals um because you're so deathly afraid of having children
1: <laughs> no you know what though someone i dated uh two people ago two two two, two humans people. ago <laughs> two people ago said she said something <laughs> what the fuck did she we'll save for the on, actual podcast
0: Oh no! I started recording because oh, okay. I thought this was
1: good. <laughs> did, did you? Did you? Okay, re- <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll keep going. Well, then, two humans ago, uh, the young lady I was dating. Um, what did she say? She said. She said um, something to the remark when she found out how many animals I had. She said, "You know, you know, you're safe to be loved by people too." And I was oh. like, "Are you implying that I've?" Have- but got a house full of animals because I'm afraid of human vulnerability. Is that what you're implying? Like, I'm... Cause, yeah. Because... Wrong. That's wrong. funny. Wrong that's- assessment. It was a projection. God bless her. Oh. She was actually the one who had vulnerability issues in the relationship. I mean, I do too. Like, come on. Yeah, like, of course. But I've been really... That's one thing I've been really working on. But her implication that I have a house full of animals because I don't like to be vulnerable. I was like, that's a reach. That's that's a bit of a reach.
0: It's so funny, though, because observations like that, they could be true. Like you were saying she was projecting.
1: I felt yeah that
0: you felt. But it's like I can see where maybe she also had experienced someone else that did have a lot of pets where that could have been where it came from. For sure. You know, so it's like an interesting thing, though, because. When you said that at first, I was like, "Roll my eyes like, "Oh jeez, woo people <laughs> but at the same time, some of those come th- some of those observations can be true, yeah, but i would it would rub me there on with, how dare you? <laughs>
1: this is such an interesting thing, though, right? because what's been coming up for me a lot in particular with romantic relationships, and I actually just had a breakup about two and a half weeks ago, so it's oh, still very fresh, yeah, but one of the things that that comes up is our perception of ourselves, like our, our personal truth of how we perceive ourselves to be versus when we get feedback or input from others. And what I'm finding is I used to have a default where no matter what people would say, I'd take a moment and be like, wow, is that true? Am I missing something? Like, is there feedback in their perspective? Is there is there a nugget of truth there? You did it immediately? Well, I would immediately go like, oh yeah, they're right. Oh, but, I, I, interesting. I, but I have found though that In terms of people's wounds, their projections, their trauma, sometimes people will say things and I'll sit with it and meditate on it and be like, you know what? That doesn't resonate. Like, It doesn't resonate.
0: That's not mine. That's not me. For sure. Hmm, Okay.
1: But I think taking that moment to pause and consider it though is something that I'm getting better at to be like, okay, they have this feedback. I'm not vulnerable. I'm not authentic. I'm not, is that true? Okay. I'm going to sit with it. And then I'm going to go to all the closest people in my life and be like, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? This is a swearing podcast? Okay. Yeah. I'm like, am I full of shit? I was am like, I, am have I, you met me? Am I like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Shit.
0: <laughs> we have the fuck the shows <laughs> and all this stuff shit. around. <laughs> like all
1: of my swag from your joyologist is like laden with cuss words. So yeah, okay. So anyway. You like, have permission. Like, like people like, okay, like my mom, my best friends, like people have known me for decades. Like, am I am I totally Like, am I, am I just coming off as what what did someone say to me recently? Hollywood vulnerable? I oh. got, got accused of being Hollywood vulnerable and wow. I was like, wow, that's a new one. Let me sit with that. Hollywood what is Hollywood vulnerable? vulnerable. Did she say she did. what that meant?
0: Or what did you say? Yeah, take it, it to was me? basically
1: like that that I'm putting up a facade of faux vulnerability to try and connect with people and, and win their affections. But when it comes down to the, like the raw, real, dark, you deep still are shit, like,
0: that's blocked. And off. I'm just like, I've actually. Let me show you this. I'm going to look like I'm being vulnerable, so you can connect with me. But I also, have, I really have all this other stuff locked down. Yeah,
1: which was interesting, right? Because, because I suppose that there's maybe further layers of deeper, darker shit that maybe I'm not even aware of, right? I
0: think we all have, you know, the deeper, darker shit we don't aren't aware of.
1: Yeah, but I was reflecting on that comment, and again, it was the, the last person I dated, just broke up with. It was like. Let me see. I've told you about like my alcoholic abusive father, my abandonment issues. I've told you about like, like, (laughs) you know, rage and anger issues. I'm still dealing with. I've told you about the, the masculinity issues I'm still facing around self-worth. And like, I'm like, I'm, you're like, I'm not taking inventory, but I've shared some pretty painful, awkward,
0: right? This seems
1: like it'd
0: be digging under what you're calling Hollywood vulnerability. Yeah.
1: So that was one thing I had to sit with and go like, I don't, think that that's accurate
0: is this her shit or is this my shit that's the question right that's the question yeah whose shit is it
1: <laughs> and on today's game show whose shit is it
0: there's some shit <laughs> <be> mirrored around <laughs> whose
1: who's shit is it anyway
0: It's <laughs> funny there's a kid's book
1: <laughs> is, is that you want to write a, are we about to there
0: is a kid's book that my daughter has that's sort of like find the poop <laughs> and it's like trying to keep Kids to go, that kids that like resist pooping in the bodies. and every page is like you like, yo back these things. Where's the poop? Like you have to find each animal's poop. So that <laughs> reminded me of not who's poop but like
1: we still play this game as adults clearly
0: <laughs> we apparently label the poop the shit, but we don't know who who's is this. Who's Are is you it? putting this on me is this mine that i'm projecting on you is this mine that i'm putting out in the world that i make up everyone is thinking about me no that's just my own shit <laughs> or is this your shit that you're projecting on me and labeling as mine oh geez, it's a, thick, a, lot it's, of a shit it's a shit around. sandwich
1: there's a lot of layers to this shit sandwich and it's like and also it's, hey bella And also speaking of shit, Hey, my French bulldog is under the table right now in the kitchen. So, and you know, we're always trying to get our needs met. She's trying to get her needs met right now.
0: Okay. So interesting though, when you were saying, you know, someone gives you some sort of feedback on yourself that you used to automatically think like that they're right. And now you pause and sit with it to see, is that right? I'm the opposite. (laughs) That, I, anybody gives me feedback or they don't, I just read too much into a text message sometimes. <laughs>
1: oh, you try and get tone but from no, a text message. So
0: that, or somebody does give me some feedback. Like even, you know, like yesterday I'd sent somebody a message about something and she was like giving me some sort of coaching that I was like, I didn't ask for coaching. I asked, I just sent you this message. So like, anyway, I automatically go into, well, I fucking know myself best no, that's not right. What you're implying or saying is not right. Yeah. And then I have to pause and think, hmm, could there be some truth to that? Or did she say that because was there an ask? Or she's not coaching me because she thinks you're not enough. You don't know what you're doing. She thinks that I need coaching. That's just her default because she is a coach and most people seek support from
1: her. Yes. Right.
0: So that I get, I don't automatically take everybody's information as that's the truth. I'm like, well, who the fuck do you think you are?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know me. I know who I yeah, am. Yeah,
0: And then you said you would go to your loved ones, your friends, your mother to get feedback. I would never, it's so funny. I'd never do that because I think I know myself best. And yeah. that I would never think, hey, do you think this about me? Like it's an, it's, I'm just bringing it up because it's so interesting how different we are as humans. Yes. I'm not saying like my way, it's like it's obviously in how I was raised and how yours and the protection methods we use to get through life and stuff like that. That I, you know, it was just like interesting, like, oh, wow. So you take information and you would automatically think they must be right and I'm wrong in the past. And now you're like learning to be like, is that actually right? No, I don't have to take that on. Yes,
1: discernment, I think. I think yeah. the, the word is for me is discernment.
0: Yeah. and but also then you seek support from others, which is something that I've always struggled with. I'm yeah. like, I got this. Yeah, and that I now try to get support. Last week, I had a low moment. I was just having one of those days where I felt like, what am I even doing? Do people care about me? Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it was the first day of my period. That stuff doesn't usually affect me. I'm just saying, cause I'm like, I don't know if hormones played a part. I don't know if it was the moon. I don't know what was happening. I don't know if it was me reading too much into social media. I don't know, but I had a shitty day and I talked about it on social media. And I was like, in the past, I would close myself off and just be like, which a lot of my messaging is like, you have to own your awesome. You have to claim it. You have to do it for yourself. like, I have to heal myself. I have to, I'm feeling unloved. I'm feeling unworthy. I'm feeling I'm not enough. The only one that can make me feel those things is myself. Yeah. The, my favorite quote is the only person who can make you feel inferior is yourself, mm-hmm. which is how a lot of my life was shaped, was realizing that. And, but now I also built up a lot of walls. So I try now to seek support. I reached out to friends. I Opened up on social media. I was like, hey, if you have a strong friend, like I'm a strong friend, like reach out to them. Know that they need support. If you see somebody that has a shit ton of followers and you don't compliment them or thank them because you think they get it enough, they still want to hear it. Like, like just reminding people like those people that you think they're a badass and they know it. They still like want love and acknowledgement. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's like how I was feeling. Like a lot of people in my life just see Trisha. She's a badass. Look, she doesn't even take anybody's information. (laughs) But then I don't get very much feedback in my life. And I don't know if I created that. Or if I created myself because of not getting feedback, you know, anyway, but so then I did reach out for support last week and none of what anybody told me, I just started spinning tales about all of that. Nobody gave me the words I wanted back.
1: How interesting.
0: And I was like, oh, fucking Trisha, back to your own messaging. It's you.
1: <laughs> you weren't
0: wrong for seeking support and love. It's good that you did that and you opened yourself up and you, haven't, you don't keep putting walls up. But I think it'll be okay.
1: You want me to go take care of the gargoyle in the room?
0: I think it'll be okay that we leave her scratching at the wall.
1: Because I, I can put her outside too.
0: Okay, we'll try that next. You want me to next? Okay. Yeah, let me finish this thought. <laughs> anyway, I was like, it's not, it wasn't bad that you reached out. Cause I was like, well, then I just, why did I even put myself out there? Why did I share those lows? Yeah. Well why did I even do that? Cause that feels weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, someone that's so self-reliant. Right. Because I got, ah, there he go again. You put yourself out there and you want people to say these things about you. And they, you want people to tell you these things so that you feel this worth, you feel enough and you got feedback from people and it felt good but it didn't do the job. What did the job was when I finally dug into myself and saw where did that come from? These feelings came from, I was caught in comparison. Mm. How come this person, you know, people reply to this person and give them so much love and not me, or how come whatever reviews, listens, whatever, that I was taking myself into comparing myself to another person or where I want to be. Right. And I'm not there yet. And so it was good of me to reach out for support. So I'm not telling you to become self-reliant to not do that. But I, again, was like, ah, fuck. Yeah. Yep. Take your own medicine, Trisha. Yeah. The only person that can make you feel anything truly is yourself. And it's so good that you got into that support and you got annoyed that those people are telling you they love you and they're giving their support. But why am I still not feeling it? Yeah. Cause I have to go in and do the work myself. For
1: sure. Yeah. The medicine is inside of you. Yeah. Right. The homeopathic dose is actually coming from, from within you.
0: And like what my message and what I'm share, why I'm so big on owning your awesome and how we have to claim it is because it's the work that I have been doing and continue to have to put to work every day. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm so passionate about sharing it. Yeah. So, Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Jason. We, hi. hi. <laughs>
1: well, that's, and that was the intro. <laughs> it's good to see you. It's been a hot. It's been a hot second since we actually like physically connected. Yeah. Like a hot second. Like you, you have like uh, a whole tribe of children. I have a tribe of animals. Like we've clearly like added human. We've, we've added lives to our households since we last saw one. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: I started recording when Jason was talking about his dogs and our animals, not dogs. Um. Anyway, because as soon as he opened the door and he was like, "You have a kid," and I was like, "I have two kids," and then he was like, "I'm deathly afraid of becoming a father," and then the dogs came up, and that's why I hit record and started to tap into that, which we'll get into that maybe later. Terror,
1: we'll get into the terror. That'd be great because that's about as juicy as it gets. No, for real, like that's that's. I mean, if we talk about the things we're like the most afraid of, I mean, that's okay.
0: Well, let's just talk about it right now. Oh, you want to? Okay, sure.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can distill, as, as far as I've been able to identify, right, I, my two greatest fears are, A, um, are having children. Well, there's layers to that, because it's not actually having the children, it's fucking them up. It's, it's, it's the wound of, like, transposing my childhood and what I experienced, the trauma I experienced, and, and how many years of adulthood... It's taken to mm. understand and unravel and continue to heal that. And I say continue because it's not fully resolved. Like it's more resolved than it's been. Yeah. So it's not necessarily. Okay. I'm, I'm decoding this in real time. Okay. It's, it's two things. It's fucking up. It's having kids and fucking them up psychologically and emotionally. And it's losing my freedom. Yep. Because I place my, the perception of what I value as freedom mm-hmm. so high that the idea of like not doing my music, not doing my writing not doing my, my food art, like compromising that scares the fucking shit out of me. So there's two aspects that's fucking them up and losing my freedom. Yeah. The other thing is at the end of my life, uh, that whole like, re- you know, at the end of our life, like if I get a chance to review it, feeling like I didn't um, live full out, feeling like I didn't do what I wanted to do, feeling like I held back, I held love back, I held my creativity. Like oh. there's a terror that I feel that at the end of my life, I'm going to feel like I didn't do and play full out and be if you
0: didn't have kids or if you did
1: these are two like it may
0: hinder you from playing full out or that the fact that you ha- didn't have kids and put that much love out into the world in them
1: well that's that's i i honestly these were two separate fears but now that you're talking about it i wonder if there's an interrelation i'd never considered this before it's interesting you say that because to me it was just kind of this isolated thing of like imagining myself like on my deathbed like oh, i didn't i you know I never learned how to be a motorcycle racer. And I never, I never, I never went uh, base jumping off the bridge at Iguazu Falls. And I never, like, just, I don't know, being this regretful old man.
0: Uh, that, it's interesting, this fear of uh, freedom when you have four live animals to take. Care
1: of. Isn't that, yeah, I know. It's like, it, that's, hmm. Yet I find, but you know, but it's different. Like I feel, I I feel like it's easy for me to get a, 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 a pet sitter, an animal sitter here. You know, it's like, oh, you want to, you know, come and have the house to yourself for a week and I'll go. Cause I do, I do travel a lot for work and it's honestly not that big of a deal. I just feel like, I don't know, like I'm not worried about fucking up my cats and my dogs. Like for some reason, like cognitively though, I'm just, I have this terror. I just have this terror of like screwing, screwing up. Yeah, The lives of these children. Again, that just might be a projection of like what I went through. I just like the idea of like, oh God, like if I, tr- I'm terrified of like traumatizing or causing pain to this being that I've taken responsibly, you know, I don't know. It, j- it terrifies me. Like the idea of like causing them undue pain or undue trauma is like a terrifying thought to me. And maybe there's no way to avoid it. Maybe well, you know, what, like we were talking about before this. Like. Yeah,
0: before we hit record, we got into a conversation on this when I was setting up because he had mentioned yeah, I had kids and that he was fear of fatherhood. What, what for me? What motherhood to me? What I constantly comes up to me, or like I'll just like jokingly say to another mother or something that I was like, motherhood is the greatest experience in letting go. It's incredible because you just, you know, especially for me, I know I was like, okay, I'm going to raise them this way and only wooden toys and they will eat this way and stuff like that. And that like, that went out the window no screen time until whatever, like whatever you choose to do as a mother or father, parent is great. But I needed to like, be sane and so i was like what am i stressing out more about like sticking to these made-up guidelines i created or just being like okay you're enjoying i we have these beautiful toys you just want to play with a plastic cup and my keys okay or like whatever it is like (laughs) we're at the playground play with everything why do you just want to play with this blade of grass like whatever i'm bringing up ridiculous examples but it's just like we can't as much control as you want to put in your kids. Or even if it was someone coming to it like you, like we all have, I don't, we'll get into if you are open to talking about your trauma as a child, but I think we all have some sort of childhood trauma, no matter how well you were raised, how much money, how much love you got, that things happen in our childhood, which is also it's like that somehow end up shaping us and how we move through the world. And they talk about now like, oh, your why is something that happens between the ages of... One in six or something like that. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, so then I was saying like, I'm constantly now as a somewhat conscious parent of two kids being like, ah, shit, is this the moment? Is this thing that slipped out of my mouth or is this way of bribery or like, (laughs) Zia, come on, we have to leave the playground. We have to leave the playground. It's time to go okay, I'm leaving, like me pretending to leave. And then that's what get her to go. Is this the moment that's fucked up her entire life that one day at the playground, my mom pretended she was leaving me. And so I ran to the car. (laughs) Like, like I think like, is this, is this the thing that's going to fuck my child up for her entire life?
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no. It's very real. real
0: because there is, there's all this now like science and research. Something happened. You thought this, you know, I've traced it back to like my, um, The thing that I carry around with me or have my entire life was, I don't need you. Mm. That that's driven me in my life, shaped me. I don't need you. I, of course, need people. But that's the story that went through my life and it made me do amazing things, but also created walls and barriers, which I've broken down and still work on breaking down. But then I just uncovered that I don't need you was then created because apparently... And I haven't dove into where this is, but I just uncovered last year, like, well, you think where that came from was because I felt like nobody cares about me. And I haven't traced back to like, oh, well, what is that one moment that shaped my entire life between the ages of one to six that people say, "Pimp this thing. But I have realized, oh, that's what it is that I've really carried along with me. And that's what came up for me last week when I had this moment. It was like, nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about me. So in defense of that, I created, I don't need you. Wow. Because then I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. I don't have to deal with that, but This real feeling that nobody cares about me. So I'm just going to walk through my life like, I don't need you. Look at me. I'm an independent badass and I'm going to get shit done. You don't believe in me that I can become a live sound engineer at the age of 19 being a female? I will show you. You don't believe that I can start whatever, create a launch, a Kickstarter for $20,000? <laughs> like, I will do this. Yeah. So like that's carried me greatly, but was very much covering up that this fear that nobody cares about me. Mm. So then I'm like, what the fuck is going to be the thing that I fuck my kids up? <laughs> Cause that could be, you know, somebody asked me about that recently. I was like, I don't know. It could be the fact that my mom was worried about supporting us. if she was always working, but I saw my other, my best friend's mom was always there for her, making homemade snacks after school. Was that where it came from? I don't know. It could be like something very small that like, not was actually done to me. Right. But that in my mind, it could be a kid on the playground maybe saying, nobody cares about you, na 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 boo boo Who knows? Right. So what I'm saying is, much fear as you may have about fucking your kids up, you could do everything right and they're going to have some moment <laughs> that fucks them <laughs> <laughs> So you might as well just let go and do the best you can and love them. And it sounds so easy, but it really is like, it's so fucking scary. Of how, what, what, what will be the thing or the many things, even when I'm trying so hard. So instead I show love, I let go. I keep trying to learn and do better, but I just, yeah, being there and being loved for them. And of course I'm trying to work on things that may have affected my childhood and how I shape, you know, re rewrite my kid's childhood based on the wounds I carry from mine.
1: Wow. That's that's profound because because there's this there's this idea in me of I need to be (laughs) I need to be less fucked up before I bring a life into this world, Um, in the sense of of this is a whole extension though of like stuff I've worked on with my therapist. I have this really really wonderful therapist that I I I treasure um, who's helped me over the last five years with a lot of things. But one of the things that I kind of identified with him that seems to be related to this conversation is like for me to be a good partner or a good parent, uh, I need to unfuck myself more, right? Of like, I've got to be at a certain state of, how do I say this? Conscious awareness, or I need to be at a certain point in my healing process, or I need to be at a certain point of self-perpetuated evolution before I can really show up for a relationship. Do you have that like, marked
0: or labeled or like, how the fuck are you ever going to get to there? That,
1: and Yeah. And that's what he said. He's <laughs> like, you're going to be waiting a long, long, long time. If you think that like, Oh, I need to be in this state of perfected consciousness before I can really be a good man, a good man, a good partner, a good husband, a good father. It's like, what you're going to be waiting forever if that's when, your meanwhile, mentality.
0: Meanwhile, probably everyone that knows you is like, "You are so amazing. You are going to. You're the. We would make the most amazing."
1: That they say that, and I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like, I'm. What do you mean? What are you seeing? Are you nuts? Are you crazy?" Then no, I see you with kids. Kids love you. I'm like, I. But I'm screwed up. I'm screwed. Like, but but that's the thing is not to. I'm not saying that in a self-deprecating way, right? Of like. I'm a piece of shit. I don't love my, I'm learning how to love myself more and more. But the reality is I'm, I am still dealing with trauma and I am still dealing with when I get into certain intimate relationships, the old wounds still come. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. thought I dealt with oh, you. I no. thought you,
0: I thought I dealt with you. Uh-uh, they're going to keep coming
1: up. Right. And that, but that's the misnomer that I had was if I just put a certain amount of yeah. healing in, yeah. Right. It's like, that one. <laughs> yeah like i'm gonna go but i've gone to this therapist and i've taken this course and i'm doing I transcendental meditation from... and i'm eating raw food and i'm doing blah, blah 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 and shouldn't this have been and the things like we don't care about that actually all that stuff you're doing we it's just, we're not a checkbox robel we're not a checkbox <gasps> i wish it was though wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy like I, but, to-do
0: list done i don't know would it I mean, what would life be like if we were just able to fix things once and never face them again?
1: <laughs> nice. lovely. We'd have more time. to. Sp- I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting question.
0: Right. We're so good at like fucking ourselves up.
1: <laughs> you just fucked me up with that question. I'm like, it'd be like a Disney movie. I'd be like in the fields with cartoon flowers and lovely animals like, oh, my traumas are resolved. All my traumas
0: are resolved. <laughs>
1: that's that's my attempt at a Disney song. You're welcome, Disney. You can take all my traumas are resolved.
0: I mean, I want us to obviously like, that's the point of my, everything I do is this this constant awareness of like, I'm sorry to tell you, you're never gonna get to a point where everything's perfect. It will be, you can have good days, weeks, months, years, but like, it's just, and what I, I used to always say, especially like my Be Your Own Joyologist course when I'm promoting that or my work, I'll be like, you know, because no matter how much you have, any, even the people that have it all are still going to have bad days and shit's going to come up. But what I have now also realized is it's not just that bad stuff. When good stuff, you meet an amazing person, you enter an amazing, loving relationship, then your shit comes up.
1: Oh, God, yeah. You get
0: a raise. You get an opportunity that you always wanted to work so hard for. Then the shit comes up. That it's not just everything's great and then, oh, I'm just, like bad stuff's going to happen Bad stuff will come up, or whatever doubts and fears might show up. But sometimes doubts and fears show up because of the good shit.
1: It's 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 real. That no, that's real. Because like then a lot
0: of times, worthiness these things you work so hard for, then you get it, and you're like, I don't know, I'm shaking.
1: Oh God, it's 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 hardcore. They're gonna
0: find me out. Oh God, yeah,
1: they're gonna yeah, they're gonna find me out. They're like, oh, I like did I fake my way to this opportunity? Did I bullshit my way to this? Like, is this person actually like, but what if I show them the icky bits? Like, like it's that, it's that first 90 to 120 days of, of dating. I actually have like jokes about this. Like where like, Oh, like my PR rep, like Jason's PR person. Like, so he graduated from Columbia with a 4.0. He's worked with saving Somalian refugees. He's actually rescued five animals. He donates to a uh, human welfare causes and he, uh, he basically has zero flatulence. Sounds like the perfect guy, right? Right, right. <laughs> Little do you know that I still have unresolved abandonment issues, and I still feel like I'm not enough no matter what happens, and I'm still materialistic as fuck, and, uh, and all these things that are going to come up, but I, what I'm trying to do like with dating now, right, with all this, and this is, I think this is a good segue, is, is like I want to just come as real as I can from the get-go. Like, look, these are, this is the things I'm still working on. Okay, I was diagnosed with clinical depression five years ago, which I'm still dealing with. That's not, that doesn't, in my opinion, that doesn't go away. I just have better tools to manage it with. Uh, and like, like basically, like, here's the, sh- here's my shit. Okay, like, if you want like, like to like, accept this introduce- mission. I would like to introduce you my shit. Yeah, so up. And, uh, and here's my shit. It's uh, quite fancy. I've polished this turd, uh, but it is still a turd. And, uh, and I'm still... I'm still learning how to live with the I'm turd. I'm getting,
0: like you in front of like, like the whiteboard, poster board. Okay, so we have this, this, and this. Do you accept?
1: Yeah. No. Honestly, like, Do is this cool with you? Do you move on
0: to week two with me and my shit?
1: No. Cool no. I'm like first date now. I'm like, I'm like, no, no, no. Do you want to go to date two, not week two, like date two? Because like for real, I just, I, I, I want to be upfront about that stuff because the whole like, like shiny PR, like ninety to everything's great, and we're not going to talk about our traumas and our demons and our da da da, and then like all of a sudden you know, three to six months in, like, yeah. you didn't expect this, did you? Because I didn't tell you because I wasn't upfront about it. Rawr, do you want to deal with this for a bit?
0: So how's that been going?
1: Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it, but I'm just like, obviously that person would have to be it. A-
1: it's not everyone's flavor of ice cream. Yeah. And I'm not everyone's but flavor of ice cream. But that's a great
0: way to weed it out then. If somebody's like, what the fuck? 100. Then you're like, Cool. And I don't need to go on a date too with you and waste all of these triggers that are going to come back up in me and my worthiness and enoughness and traumas getting flared up by someone that's not going to be there anyway.
1: Bingo. Right. So I, I'm, and, and I'm not doing it with this idea of I'm going to test you. It's just I want to put the cards on the table because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to initiate something if you're not willing to also be upfront about like, yo, look, we are, we are beautiful people. Like we're wonderful people with all of these gifts and talents and beautiful aspects. And we've also got our shit. And so I'm not going to hide my shit from you to just come up like this three headed monster three to six months from now, I'm going to put it on the table and be like, this is what I'm still dealing with. This is why I go to therapy. This is what I struggle with. I'm still learning to love these parts of myself. And if they just are like, Whoa, this guy is like way too open and real. Like, cool. Then I know you're not the person I want to like, dance with yeah you know i don't want to dance with that like i just want to be like hey these are this is this is with my awareness this is like where i'm at in life
0: yeah and that's what awareness is the best thing because again it's like i don't we're all going to end up as, as great and as conscious and as aware we can all get then these things will come up and it's just then the awareness like even last week when i had that moment of like oh here i am again with my story rearing up of nobody cares about me and i feel this and i feel sad and i feel enough but i was able to Realize, this is the awareness. This is how I feel today. I'm, and I didn't even try to like super fix it. I was like, cool. So I'm having a mellow day where I'm kind of like sad, and I do want some people to cheer me on. Hmm, They're cheering me on. It's not doing anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was. I was like, I'm so grateful that person took the time to reply, like you know, or whatever, to speak up. But I was like, realistically. It's just my own approval. I'm seeking a fucking gun. Like, yeah. and then, but you know, like just that knowing and all the awareness is where it's at. Are you open to talking about your childhood trauma since we've been there? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I can go back to, uh, and it's not a moment in particular, right? It's sort of, it's, it's sort of a theme, if you will. And realizing that, um, because I didn't understand the depth of what was happening and I didn't understand all of the parameters and all of the things that had led up to this situation in my child mind, I started to create associations and reasons as to why I thought this was happening. So the the thing in question here is, um, is my the dissolution of my mom and dad's relationship and my father leaving us? And in my mind as a, as a young child, having witnessed a lot of of uh, physical fights and verbal fights and and me you know at one point i mean i remember the one the one situation that really stands out was um my mom and my dad getting into like a hardcore fight to the point where she was screaming like run to your aunt's house and go oh, call the wow. police like where i literally like burst out the front door how old were you i was probably god f- f- four years old
0: oh wow um and, An and only and child
1: only child Yeah. And, you know, I remember running, like, like running full speed out the front door, my my dad reaching to try and grab me to stop me from doing it and, like, breaking away from his arm and, like, running to my aunt's house and, like, pounding on the door, like, in the middle of the night for her to call the police and then seeing my dad, like, being taken away in, in a police car, like, Man. handcuffed and, like, and and there were there are more stories like that. That one just, that one seems to be the apex of, like, holy shit, my dad's getting put in the back of a police car because he was, like, hitting my mom, like, like. Is so vividly amongst a whole pe- pastiche of of situations, but, but my whole thing in my child mind, it wasn't seeing that my dad was an alcoholic or a, a drug addict or these things. It was the reason that this isn't working out is because I'm here, is because before I came, my mom and my dad were great and they had a great relationship. And because I'm here, that's when the problems started. That's when the fight started. That's when the drug abuse and the alcoholism. So I, in my child mind made an association without knowing the full totality of the information available that the reason things are fucked is because I'm here. Because before I was here, things were great with them. And I took that on. And that
0: wasn't any input of like, so I'm sure my daughter, my oldest daughter is uh, almost four. So like, I'm like emotional thinking like of, yeah, thinking of my daughter, like, what would she make up of me and her dad like fighting like that? Like and a like, story in her mind. Yeah. Right? And that she wouldn't have probably been, yeah. Like if there was alcohol and drugs, she wouldn't have been able to like, oh yeah, it would be like, daddy likes to drink that or whatever. But she wouldn't have any idea about that. Do you, you know, your, your story created or your mind created the story of, you know, things that they were better before I came along. Was there any ever, you probably wouldn't remember, but was there ever any conversation or that? Or you just went to like, this must be about me. Like, because they fight, like, how would you have put it in? They were good before You're I like came. Cont- along.
1: Contextualizing that, I think yeah. it was like
0: obviously with a being child brain. I don't know. Well,
1: it was hearing stories about them traveling and oh. them, you know, living in different places in the world, okay, and, and, and sort of this honeymoon phase of a young couple before a child arrived, and, and all the freedom and the traveling and the adventures and all also that fear stuff. of
0: your freedom being taken away.
1: Yes right so it's coming full circle like the 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 observations that i had or the story i created in my mind as a child of they were great and they were in love and they had all this great stuff and then i came and fucked it all up right so so my my not enoughness which is probably the core wound that i still deal with which is why i chose the i am enough keychain <laughs> from you is because Somehow I created a story in association that if I were a better son and I were enough, they wouldn't have these problems and dad wouldn't have left. So I took somehow full responsibility for the the destruction of that relationship and him leaving as me not being a good enough son. If I were better and I were whatever, more well-behaved or more talented or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And henceforth, that... You know, like you were talking about how you with this I don't need anyone through thing, life, like my fuel for most of my adult life, and I'm I'm turning forty two next month, right? Most of my life has been I'm gonna show you that I'm the best and I'm better than everyone so that I never get abandoned. And I'm gonna show you that I'm the fucking best boyfriend, the best partner, the best basketball player, the best writer, the best chef. I'm gonna be the whatever. Like the whole what has fueled my basic entire adult life until I started to become aware of it was Oh, so if I prove to the world that I'm enough, I'll never get left.
0: And so, like, even, and I'll never get abandoned. And so, even if it was like something your heart might not have always been into, like maybe you're like, you loved that person you're in a relationship with, but you could have seen maybe they're not your person. But you still like, I have to prove I'm the yes. best boyfriend, yes. or like, I've got this project. You know what? I don't even. I'm not even that passionate about it anymore. But I have to prove I'm the best at doing it. My God! So you're yes. like forcing yourself to keep going and do this excellent work on something that you're not even like really passionate about because you have you can't give up no you can't be less than
1: no i can't i can't i have have to prove prove that i'm the best you're the best and it's been toxic right because i'm
0: exhausted thinking about oh
1: it's i've (laughs) been been exhausted living it trisha i've been exhausted living it for real in, in the sense of having this chip on my shoulder is the best way to describe it you know like no i'm gonna i'm gonna show you that i'm the best and it's been coming, it, but it's a fear-based, the fear-based no, thing. I gotta show
0: you. I don't need you.
1: Yeah, it's a fear. It's a fear, but
0: it's all fear. I needed you to say yes to the podcast. I need people to listen to it. I need people to share it. I need people to help me edit it. Need- so many things I realized in my life. I did this all on my own. Where some of the things that I was like so proud of myself in my own head that I did. One time I was even like, I'm so generous. I gave my car away. I'm like the best person ever, which I did one time, give my car away. Wow! But I realized after the fact that, like, well, I didn't give my car away. Like, anybody want a car? That there were some people in my life <laughs> that really needed a car. Yeah, I didn't plan on getting into this story. I'll tell you. So this is, um, you know, Matthew Angle, Matthew and Terri's Angleheart, of course, gratitude, of, of course. Before the restaurant even uh, was in LA. They would lead transformational workshops and things, and they were part of like I, they feel like family to me. And one of it came from like one of their workshops. Um, I can't was even it remember the Sacred Heart Workshop. I don't even remember, and I don't remember which tagline or thought process got me to giving up my car. Not like it was a cold that got me to, but I just like remember in my mind like it might have been the giving and receiving is one and the same, which I didn't understand that thought for a long time until I finally got the aha of that, which I can. Sure, too. But so like, anyway, I was motivated by like just learning this thing. I was in a place where I toured most of the time. Yeah. Um, I was already a touring joyologist at that point. Had trans, you know, I wasn't a sound engineer. I'd become, I tour with artists. So I was mostly on the road. Um, I was about to go on the road for the year. And then after that, I was like going to go to, India. I don't know. I just knew I was going to be gone for a long time. And that I had this Toyota forerunner. And I didn't love it anymore. The person I was working for, I drove their car a lot and I loved their car. And I made up in my mind, like, I'm going to get, I'm going to end up with, I'm going to get a Prius. Like maybe he'll even gift me a Prius. This is my crazy mind. Anyway, but I was like, I you know this car. Like, I don't love it. It was sort of like, if you don't, if you're not excited about it, something anymore, like then just give it away mm. also. Mm. So that I also was feeling about that. I was going to be on tour for like the entire year. I didn't need a car. It was just going to sit at their house. I could have been like, Hey, do you guys want to borrow my car for the year? looking back anyway but um they were a band the make peace brothers oh connor oh, Finian, Finian oh. and kieran had just moved down from san francisco to la to really try to be musicians and they had gear their car broke down they didn't have a car and they were a band trying to make it and they were friends of mine yeah and i said i was driving Finian back to la from san diego and he was like talking about this i don't know what we're gonna do we don't have a car how are we gonna get around with the gigs and like whatever I'm driving my 4Runner to And I was like, why don't you just have my car? Like, just can't like that. And he was like, what? You mean like, borrow it? And I was like, eh, why don't you just have it? (laughs) I'll sign over the title. (laughs) So nonchalant
1: of you. So nonchalant.
0: Yeah. But anyway, so I did. And I even got to LA and I was like, do you just want to drive it? Do you just want to like drive it right now? Like, (laughs) It was so random.
1: Well, you just drop me off at my place it's and just, just take basically it. basically was. Here's I was the like, title. leaving
0: for tour like the next day or anything anyway. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> so it ended up happened like that. So anyway, for years I remember looking back and be like, Trisha, you're like so fucking generous. Pat on the back, you gave your car away. That was worth like you even paid I didn't I paid I didn't it wasn't even paid off. I took my father's life insurance that had he had died and I took the rest of the money and paid the car oh off. Oh my god. I don't know, so crazy.
1: And didn't gave that. Wow. I
0: didn't even ask them. I don't know. I'm not trying to get a claps or like, Trisha, you're so amazing by telling the story. I'm just telling. Anyway, I don't know. It really, and I just felt generous about it. Like, they need the car. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Like, whatever. By the way, those guys, anytime I've had to move or anything, I call them up. <laughs> 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 They've helped me move to homes like four to five times. Remember that time I gave you a car? <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna need to help me again. <laughs>
1: calling lifetime favors. (laughs) Lifetime favors.
0: Maybe I'm due to call them in for something else right now. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. But I was like, I'm so like generous and awesome. Even that was like, you know, and then what I had to realize is like, you didn't just like decide to give somebody your car. You gave your buddy some car because they needed you. They actually made the request. I think Finian may have even used the term, how are we going to manifest a car while I was driving him? And often I was like, no, you just have mine. (laughs)
1: How about instantaneously?
0: But no, but no, this is, oh, this is, I remember making fun of him. He said, we need, okay, guys, we need to manifest a car. How are we going to manifest a car? And I laughed like, yeah, well, what are you going to manifest a car? That's what I said to him. I laughed at him. 15 minutes later, I said, just <laughs> <laughs> That's how Dude. it happened. I laughed at him. I was like, yeah, you're just going to manifest a car. And then 15 minutes later, I was like, you know, why don't you just have mine? But, any, but anyway, <laughs> the giving and the receiving that I realized I'm, wow, I think I'm so amazing because I gave a car up, but I needed those people to need
1: me. Mm. Mm.
0: Even in my story of I don't need you, here I am feeling good about myself for doing something, acting like I don't need people, but like, well, obviously I need people to even like, if I'm just looking in my own closed mind of I don't need people, like we don't need people. I can just do everything in my life, my own. I'm so independent. I did all these things myself. Well, no. Do you know how many people have helped me do every single thing in my life, even though it was my determination and my learning and my openness that made it happen, that we all need people, that even my big, amazing generosity was not brought on by myself, that I needed people to give to so then I could like, and I didn't do that out of my ego or feeling great. Like I even now like didn't want to tell the story, you know, like of that, but it's kind of funny story. But just realizing, like, even if you're moving through life, like, I don't need people. Like, you can't do (laughs) that. Like, everything that I'm doing is based upon other people helping me or seeing, like, look what I did. It's even if it's just like looking at the point of being able to tell people what I did or prove, see, I showed Ah, you again. Most
1: generous person ever. Ha ha. Like,
0: even if that was the motivational story of I don't need people, like, if that's what was carrying me through my life so I could show people, look what I did without you. Yeah. I was like, well, and I still needed those people to be able to have that feeling of let me show you.
1: Oh, Absolutely. It's so interesting, this, this idea that we can do it all on our own, right? Because because we're in this culture, though, of radical, like, radical independence and radical self-reliance to this point of, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a self-made millionaire and I'm da-da-da-da-da and, and, like, all of these egoistic attachments to, like, we think, you know, we think we're doing it all on our own, but... You know, to paraphrase the classic thing, like we're standing on the shoulders of giants, like in, in all of our art and our creativity and the people that have support, like we're just standing on the shoulders of the people that have come before us. And, and also the people that are, are, are with us right now, right? So, so this idea of like, you don't need anyone and I have this chip on my shoulder that I need to prove I'm the best so I can show I'm enough is like, despite all our efforts to do everything on our own, I'm like, fuck you guys, we don't need you. We don't need you. We do. And, 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 and in relationship, right? Like for, for me, this comes up in the sense of like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need a partner. I don't need a, I like, I'm like, all my needs are met. I got this beautiful house and I have animal, like all my material, like I don't need anyone. But the reality is I do want someone in my life. Like I do, I want, I want to, there's two, like I I want to co-create a life with someone and I want a partner but it also simultaneously scares the crap out of me because I've been on my own so long and lived on my own so long that my independence and like my life is so like, I've got my routine and my meditation and my things. And like, if someone comes in here, it's my things are gonna get jumbled up and screwed up. So it's this weird dichotomy of I want to co-create a life with someone and I do want a life partner. And I'm also scared to death because I've got my routines on lock, on
0: lock. And is that, is that the fear of like, I'm not going to be as good at keeping myself in check if someone else is around. Yes. Because it's like, well, of course, you can still keep your routines and be in a relationship. But it's the
1: freedom thing. It's like, ah, but I'm going to have to make compromises and give up my freedom for... But then I think of the Thich Nhat Hanh quote that says, love another in a way that they feel free. And so I'm going to whip that quote out on the first date and say, you know, one of my favorite quotes are is this Thich Nhat Hanh quote that says, you must love another in such a way that they feel free. How does that resonate with you? What does that mean to you? What does freedom mean to you?
0: Yeah, and let's say there are definitely like compromises in relationships and maybe some balances of freedom, but the things you're talking about, like, do you think you're going to meet a relationship with someone and they're going to be like, no, you are not allowed to get up and meditate and make it. <laughs> <laughs> this is uncalled
1: for. <laughs> like, uh, you're going right. to get four hours of sleep and then you're going to make a fried bacon <laughs> marshmallow sandwich in the morning for me. And you're going to eat it too. With extra bacon and extra caramel sauce. Uh, Which actually, I mean, actually, that does sound good. A bacon marshmallow caramel sandwich does not sound like a. Well, anyway, it's different. I mean, I'm <laughs> my mind. Um, no, I don't think I'm going to meet someone like that. I don't. It's just it's I don't know, Tricia. It's just like this. thing I'm just making
0: fun of you for the fact that hopefully <laughs> it'll help you nudge yourself out of your own way.
1: <laughs> These fears are meaningless. They're meaningless fears. Stop your mind. I laugh at your fears. <laughs> I laugh at your fears. <laughs> <laughs> your pointless fears that don't exist. No, it's good. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're kicking my ass a little bit. It's good. <laughs> working it out in real time. My bullshit fears that don't exist in reality.
0: Okay, so back to... Was that... Did your father end up after he was taken away of the cops, that memory that you remembered? Did that happen for a while or was that like he pretty much left your life when you're around four or
1: no, it was was just just this revolving thing of like he kept coming back and trying to to be with my mom and be with us. And, you know, she my mom actually got to the point where she she had to get into lioness mode because it was like, I'm not, you know, the way she describes it is like I'm not gonna have this chaotic, physically emotionally violent, addicted person, you know, being around my child. So it got to the point where, you know, she had to get a restraining order and and to the point where he would he would come over to and he actually threatened to, like, kidnap me one time. He, like, said, I'm going to take him and you're never going to find him again. And then this one of the last straws I can Do remember. Did you,
0: like, were you there? Did you hear him say that? Or did you just, your mom told no, you No, my that? mom
1: told me that. Okay. I don't recall him ever saying that to, to me. But um, but she had to get into lioness mode. So it was this this point of my my father kind of descending into his own pit of madness. And her being like, yeah, that's not really a healthy environment to raise a child in. But you're trying to come back. So, um, so she would, she would go in this, my, I have a group, my mom is an amazing, I love my mother. She's actually become like a best friend now. Yeah, just, I've
0: seen. I, I
1: happened to just come out of her vagina at one point. You know, that's just, <laughs> <woof>. <laughs> TMI. I don't know. I mean, it's all happened, but, but she's more of a best friend than a mom, right? I acknowledge she's my mother, but one time he tried to come back and, and she actually took a baseball bat and smashed his windshields and smashed the headlights of his car and was like, don't ever fucking wow. come back. Ah. I was like. Whoa, like seeing that kind of ferocious love from my mom though. Like ferocious love. I I it's like whatever. I don't really lament not having a father I used to because So did you
0: then like after that he didn't did he ever re-enter your life or it was once your mother like finally
1: Yeah, like I mean he he finally like got the memo I think after she like smashed up his car like
0: And so even into adulthood you've never reconnected.
1: Well, I didn't see my father for a good I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that. Uh, and then I got a tip from a friend that he was actually in jail, uh, back in Detroit where I grew up and I hadn't seen him since I was a kid, you know, long, long time. And I went actually and saw him in jail and talked to him for a good 90 minutes. Wow. Um, and I tried to, I tried, I went into it with the expectation and the desire to get certain answers from him. Mm. You know, I'm
0: finally going to get my answers. Yeah. And I,
1: yeah. And I remember like asking him, like, we're, we're both adults now. right. And, and asking a whole bunch of different questions about his life and who he is and why he did what he did. And.
0: Oh, so you're trying to sort of like, let me analyze my father so I can understand him better and how he acted that way or got to the place in his life. Like you wanted to understand him better so you could understand. Yes. How what went down.
1: Exactly. And we were writing letters back and forth while he was in jail. And then I finally went to go see him. And I remember asking him just all these questions and, and, and kind of the penultimate question was like, why, why did you choose the life you did? Why did you do things the way you like? What, what's going on? Why did you choose this for yourself? And he kind of looked, and I wanted some like, I wanted, the, I wanted the truth, which was probably closer to like, I grew up with an abusive father who abandoned me and I didn't know any other way. And so, I carried this pain and this trauma, which I am now living out in my life because I've never questioned it or healed it or gone to – like, I wanted that kind yes. of answer, right? And he was just like, I'm a wild man, son. That's what he said. I'm a wild man, son. And I was like, Uh-oh. that's all you got? You're a wild man, right? Uh-huh. So, it was, it was such an unsatisfying feeling of like wanting these profound, deep introspective answers from a man who was sitting in a jail cell with nothing but time to think about his life. And
0: did you know anything about his life? Like you were saying, I was looking for this answer that he would have given me. Did you know any of that had happened from other people? I
1: did, but I wanted to hear it from the uh. horse's mouth. You know what I mean? It, it's this whole thing of, of, I had third party information from my mom, um, from some of his best friends so that you were had still friends.
0: collected some of that information. Yeah. Right? But and I just, he just was like, I'm a wild.
1: Yeah. I'm a wild man. And I was like, Okay. But I, I, and so it was a good lesson in letting go of like my expectation of wanting to have a real deep, authentic, like visceral conversation with my father was realizing how unaware of his own pain and, and anguish and trauma and suffering he was. Or
0: aware that he, and didn't want to face it. Like,
1: I don't know. Let, let like, me to just this call day, myself
0: a my, wild man. Yeah. yeah. To this
1: day, I still don't know. Yeah. But, but, um but, you know, he. So he ended up homeless on the streets. And, um, and I saw him four years after that, where he was actually came back to LA and he was in. He was in. Uh, oh, he was
0: in LA. He
1: was in LA. He, he came back to LA from Detroit because my dad was an actor growing up. So he split his time between Detroit and LA oh. a lot. So I was almost raised in LA, but my mom was like, no. LA's nuts. We'll raise you in Detroit. God, if so you
0: guys were in Detroit, he would come back and forth to LA. Exactly. You weren't. You were almost raised. Meaning they almost made the choice to
1: stay in but LA. But you didn't
0: come to LA as a kid.
1: I visited, but but my mom ultimately was like, "His lifestyle is insane, and I don't want to raise him in LA with this actor dad who's like living this insane Hollywood. So even lifestyle. when they
0: were together,
1: yeah, Got it was it. it was just chaos. Right. Got it. So so ultimately, you know, with my dad being homeless, I saw him again, and um.
0: We came back to LA to live homeless.
1: He did, and I saw him on the street, which was uh, a total trip. Just ran into him. Total trip, and
0: that's that has been like you. That totally was a mindfuck beyond. Into him.
1: No, I, uh, f- uh, the same friend who told me about him being in jail said, "Hey, your dad's back in LA, and he's he's homeless." I was like, "Oh wow, that's but not like."
0: A- did he tell you where he was? Yeah, okay, yeah.
1: yeah, he was he was outside of El Pollo Loco in Westwood. So I met my dad outside of El Pollo wow. Loco in Westwood, and hadn't seen him in four years prior when he was in jail. And he had a long beard and his clothes were all tattered and he was, he actually didn't recognize me at first. He thought I was his drug dealer. And I had to have a moment where I looked at him right in the eyes and I said, Andre, it's me, Jason, your son. He was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh wow, this got off to a great start. Jesus Christ. So, so that was a trip and, um, and the whole thing was, was just. Just weird tangential conversations, and at one point, him telling me that I had to marry Cameron Diaz, and that was my life's purpose to marry Cameron Diaz. Still waiting, Cameron, if you're listening. It's, She's I'm married. Available. She is. Is she? It's
0: one of the Madden twins.
1: Oh, from uh, from the band uh,
0: Madden brother. What
1: can I think? Joe and Benji like, Madden. Yeah, Benji.
0: Yeah, Joel's married um, to
1: Richie. Richie. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, Cameron Diaz is off the table. Used to
0: work for them. Cameron
1: Diaz is That's off the why. table. Somewhat, no, that was his piece of life advice. Marry, marry, marry that good, that, that one Cameron D. Okay, got it. Um, but my dad ended up dying on the streets. He ended up, he ended up, um, oh, he ended up dying on the streets. So, how did um, you
0: even find out?
1: Well, he lost contact with ever, pretty much everyone in his life from 2006, was the last time anyone had heard from him. And then my mom oh, was wow. randomly, um, you know, searching the internet and found a, a, a death notice. So, he, he passed away actually in 2010 and nobody knew. So, she was the one who found, found out. So, so yeah, my, my, my relationship with my father was a sordid, interesting, layered, complex thing because there was the not enoughness story of my childhood that I've needed to decode and, and, and heal and look at. But then there was the other thing of not growing up with a masculine guidance or solid masculine figure in my life per se has been an exploration in my adult life of, what does masculinity mean for me? What does it mean to show up as a man in my life and defining that for myself? Cause I had no one to even show me and define that.
0: So you didn't, your mom, you didn't have like other male, whatever, uncles, grandfathers, this around or I mean, I, neighbors that she didn't date people.
1: She, all of that. Yes. Like I was, I was close with my uncle Bill growing up and, and my grandfather, my grandfather was loving, but in kind of that old school 1930s way of just like, I I helped you change your lug nuts on a 72 Pinto. That's love. Right. You know, like that old school masculine thing of like never really saying I love you, but like, you know, I helped you change the carburetors on your car. Like that's love kind of thing. So I just, I've always been a really sensitive person. And I think the, the, the disillusionment I felt was all of the masculine archetypes I had growing up for the most part were whether it was my peer group or extended masculine archetype was you know this emotionally closed off you know just get it done put your head down ain't got time to bleed you know we're gonna drink and smoke and fuck a bunch of women and like this thing
0: probably i'm guessing yeah like midwest detroit yeah
1: it was just this archetype and 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 growing up there was some disconnect i felt with that because i've always just been a very emotionally sensitive person and as an emotionally sensitive man I didn't have a lot of understanding for that. And I didn't really know who to talk to about that. And it's still kind of a, a interesting thing because I think in our current society, there's so much about masculine and, and, and feminine energies and gender roles and the interplay of that and the polarity of that in relationship. And I'm still, uh, truth be told, I'm still a bit confused because, because I'm a sensitive guy and I still feel like there's mixed messages in my head and w- in general about like, okay, so certain situations you want me to take charge and be like, no, I got this. I <laughs> fucking got this. But then you also want me to cry in this situation. Oh. But then we're in the bedroom. You want me to choke you and hold oh, you down, but okay. not too much because but we're, there's consent here. Okay. You cool with this? You co- like honestly, and I'm, I'm, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, this half white guy is like the violin. It's so hard to be a man in the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, there's still confusion in me around, like, defining my masculinity and how that shows up in the world, because I do want to be loving, and I do want to be emotionally available, and I do want to be sensitive. But I do, in certain situations, do want to kind of take the reins and be like, I got this. Like, (sighs) I don't know what I'm trying to say, Trisha I'm trying to say that I'm still trying to decode how I want to show up as a, as a quote man in the world and what that means to me.
0: I was going to say, is that mean to you, are you able to now like get more back into, what does that mean to me? And not like registered with the scales of the outside world. And have I marked this box? Am I have enough of this for these people Mm. that like, is it, are you now feel like you're trying to figure it out for yourself or still? I think obviously we're all somewhat looking for like an outdoor outside validation, like, Hey, so is this masculine? enough for you? Or can I be this? Am I allowed to do this and this? Where's the like lines?
1: It's both. I mean, to, to be honest, it's, it goes back, I think to that conversation we may have started with of, of perception, uh, outside perception and opinions versus our opinion of ourselves and how we're showing up is like, um, I feel like, huh, I don't know. This is so interesting. I've never actually decoded this in real time with someone on, on a microphone. I feel like I've, ah, oh boy. In my mind, I feel like I'm more clear about how I feel grounded in my masculinity and, the, and still exploring it. And yet, in intimate relationship, there are still moments of absolute confusion of like, I'm showing up right now how I feel authentically. I want to show up. But then sometimes it's like, ah, but can you be more sensitive in this situation and more in charge in this situation? I'm like, but I just want to show up how best I can. And authentically I can in each moment. You're it, saying it,
0: the partner is saying that to yeah, you or yeah. not, or that's not in your head that they'll yeah. be saying, can you?
1: No, no, no. It's, it's, it's been, yeah. In partnership of like, of like people stating their preferences right. of like, I like it when a man does this and I'm like, okay, but I, let me check in and see if that resonates for me. Like, do I, do I yeah. want to show up like that? Yeah. Because some Some people I've talked to are like, I really want an alpha male in my life. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what does that even mean? This alpha beta shit? Like, I'm just trying to be me. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, Trisha, I'm just, I'm just trying to be me, whatever that is, whoever that is in the, in the constant discovery of that. Yeah. And if it doesn't resonate with someone and you're like, you want like a guy who's going to like, I don't know lift giant stones and throw things and, and and just like this whatever alpha means like I'm not that dude. Right. I'm just not and I don't want to be that dude because it yes. doesn't feel authentic to me.
0: Cuz that's what I was going to say too when you're trying to like if you're trying to figure it out for yourself or for to make it to make yourself work for someone else because yeah. I think we're never in partnerships in relationships like oh, do I wish mine was all these other different things. Sure. Like, do I wish he was more vocal about this? Yeah. Are you saying
1: this uh, like personal experience?
0: Me right now. Okay. My partner. Okay. Like for sure. Like I wish he's not very good at like words of acknowledgement or like words in general. <laughs> 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 he doesn't, he's not very good at expressing <laughs> himself. I have to ask for that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I will even say, can you tell me something nice about me? And he can't think of anything. And it's not because he doesn't love me. He's not good at verbalizing mm. these things. Like he's more of like action. Let me go build you something.
1: Yes. Yes. You
0: mentioned you needed this. I just built you this shelf. Yes. Like that's how he would love, right? And I sometimes think, what would my life be like if I was with someone that was like, Trisha, I, this is so amazing. Oh my God, the work you're doing in the world. That's so great that you did that. Is Would that even, like sometimes I want that but would that fit for me? But also he doesn't do that, but he does other things. Like I, we can't pick Well, you know, like that's great that you, someone comes into a relationship with you and they're like, great. So I need you to be masculine in this situation. I need you to be more expressive. They're like, girl, <laughs> you're not always going to get what you want.
1: <laughs> like,
0: even if you put it out there, like I will be like, give me a compliment. And he's like, and I could make that. Oh my God. He doesn't even love me. That's just like, I get, he's not expressive with word. Yeah. And I have to see that. And sometimes it sucks. But then it's like, great. So am I going to go break up with him because he's not expressive with words? I got to go find someone that's expressive with words. But also, I really like that he does this and does this in this masculine way, or like something like that. Like we can't—you cannot build in a build in a bear relationship. <laughs> so like you can't like build your perfect person. Oh Lego sets. You yeah. can't live up to like everybody else's. I need you to react this way in this situation and not this way in this situation. Like sure, you might be disappointing some people in how you show up. And then, but if they're communicating that, then you can work on it. And also just getting to know your partner better, where it's like, I know he's not great with her. Yeah. <laughs> His feeling uh, of this yeah. And so I could turn that into he doesn't really love me, he doesn't know this, he doesn't believe in me. But those are that's not the truth. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. So having that conversation helps. <laughs> but also, like now that I know this about this person. And you know, like you're like talking about and still this figuring out your masculinity for yourself, and that it made me think about. I don't know if you watched my I Call Bullshit video on like the fear of being judged and being accepted by others. No. Which is very much grounded in my the only judge of me is me phrase, which on the keychain and different things is that my major aha years ago and that it still keeps coming up. Cause again, we're constantly faced with things. Is that for me, what I realized, and I don't know if this applies to what you're talking about or not, but it just like reminded me of it, is that. The only judgments of someone else, or if we're trying to like, I fit in this way, or I'm supposed to be this way, I'm trying to figure out my own masculinity or whatever that like, usually if we're trying to put it on someone else or like, they must think this about me or person X wants this, believes this about me or whatever, that nobody's judgments matter unless it's a judgment we actually have on ourselves.
1: Oh, So like,
0: if you are like, I'm still trying, I don't know if I'm masculine enough or whatever, that's like for them, like, you know, it's just like that, if someone were to say you're not masculine enough for me, Jason, in a relationship, then that would only hurt you, activate you, offend you, unless you believe that to be true about yourself.
1: Right. Or, or I created an association that that was bad. Right. Right. Because like, oh, if I'm not masculine enough, that must mean I'm not enough. It goes back to the not enough thing.
0: So you could see that and be like, well, that definitely still would hurt if someone that could say that to you. But if you're like, you know what? this is who I am and this is my masculinity and how she views it isn't enough, then that's okay. And like, so I guess we're not going to work out or she's not that bad, but it's okay. Like, of course it might still like hurt a little bit, but it's only can somebody's judgment or thought about you reflection on you only really can make a difference to you. If it's something you believe to be true about yourself, or even in the beginning, what were we talking about with like, yeah, how you were taking in insights when people, you know, when the ex-girlfriend, we're saying like this and that you're like is that true that again like someone can say something super nasty about you or it could be the fact like how much i'm reading into a text message yeah oh my god i think that they think that i must be weak and so then she gave me coaching cuz she must make up i'm weak cuz he said that or whatever but like that's just like my own reflection of myself my own judgment of myself in this moment i think people must think i'm weak <laughs> yeah or you know, whatever yeah or that you know same thing that, so whether it's something that we're making up people believe it about us or someone actually says it to you it can still hurt, but it doesn't have power over us unless it's a thought we believe to be true about ourselves. That's
1: such a wonderful thing that you said, because if, if I reflect on this most recent um, uh, breakup, right, and the feedback that I got, it wasn't that it hurt to the point of I'm identifying it because I've had that same thought of I'm not vulnerable I'm not authentic. It was more like the thing of like, whoa, I've... I don't get that feedback. Like the people in my life are not like, you know what? You really need to work on your vulnerability. You really need to work on being more authentic. Cause you're just like, you're really fake. You know, that's not like a thing that I've gotten. So it was more, it wasn't more like the self-identification and the wounding of receiving that. It was more like the, where the hell is this coming from? Right. And so I had to decode it to see if there was reality involved in there. But to your point, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Um, people in our lives that really know us. And I don't think I have anybody in my life like this where they can say something where it's like, they know they're going to push your buttons or they know they're going to say something because they know your wounds, right? But I think I'm just reflecting back the resonance of what you just said, because I know there are probably certain things somebody could say to me that would hurt because I believe that about myself. Luckily, no one's saying that in my life. I'm only the only one saying it is the voice in my head.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was even saying, where like you're talking about uh, masculinity and stuff like that. Well, it's like, yeah, you get to decide what your masculinity looks like.
1: For sure. Yeah. And thank you for that reminder because some sometimes I feel like if we're going back to one of the reasons that I have defaulted in the past, going back to the beginning of the conversation of like, oh, I'll I'll just take people's opinions at face value and not question them was me trying to be a peacemaker. Because when I was a kid, right, with everything going on with my parents, going back to the original wound, was like Uh, If I can keep the peace between them and not speak up and just like, just take everything at face value and not question things and not like ruffle the feathers, then if I keep the peace, maybe this will work out. So I think unraveling that and realizing that I don't have to be the peacekeeper and I can speak my truth and have the awareness of who I am and not take on people's projections and bullshit opinions. Like it's been a journey. Yeah. Of like, I don't have to keep the peace. Yeah. Like, Like conflict is okay like conscientious communicative conflict yes. is okay. Yes. And perhaps unavoidable as human beings with <laughs> all the I dimensionalities like, we have.
0: Yeah. Like conflict. We can think it's unavoidable. Like, okay, I'm just going to appease or that, whatever, but it, but it doesn't because it's like, then it won't be unavoidable within ourselves. Right. right? So like, right. okay, I'm just not going to have this hard conversation or I'm just not going to do this because that's going to be hard or they won't like me or what will they think or this. So we're just, we're not going to have that conversation, but it's really unavoidable because then we end up having to face it at some time. It boils <laughs> up within ourselves. So whether it's to that person or just these things that we're then fighting for so long, because we don't want to feel, have the hard feelings, have the hard conversation, speak the truth. Because it might offend someone or hurt someone or change how they think of us yeah. or something like that. Yeah.
1: Silence. Um, I, I like to say silence feeds the monster silence feeds them and i don't say monster isn't like this bad thing but i i see it as like the gorilla in the room the monster in the room the 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 dragon under the bed it's like oh it's not let's just act like it's not there but the silence feeds the thing it grows bigger and bigger like that's the food
0: yeah let me just push this down let me just push this down (laughs) down (laughs) you be
1: quiet you stand under the bed you be quiet until (laughs) it's like
0: totally Okay, it's me trisha the host just popping in because I wanted to make sure you know, yes, I have a digital app. you oh, you're awesome. Yes, I have products. I also offer one-on-one coaching, very intensive. Intensive meaning we're in contact every single day. Yeah. That's called the Manager of Integrity program, and it is epic. Seriously, we talk for an hour once a week and then i'm in touch with you every day making sure that you are in integrity with yourself whether that's making a life-change career change mindset change i am with you every step of the way but if you're just like looking for a little like i don't know i just like feel like i need some boost in my life i feel a little i don't know what check out my 33-day email program it's called i am connected to me oh my goodness it's a 31-day program but it costs $33 <laughs> Go to slash courses to find out about both these. The email program is super cool, because you get an email every single day for 31 days looking at different areas of your life, and it's stuff that's like easy. Like one day would be like, "Look at your closet. What's in here? What can you get rid of? Yeah, like, does it bring you joy? Another day is pick out a song, a playlist that brings you joy so that when you're feeling a bit blah, you can pick that out. Another day. How do you want to feel? You get the idea. Every single day, it goes through all different areas of your life. It's a really cool thing to be able to start exploring your life without feeling like you have to invest so much time, money, read a book, all of this. It's an email every day that gives you something to think about and explore. And it's only $33 for 31 days. And so please check it out, yourjoyologist.com slash courses. All right, back to the episode. Okay, we've talked about so many things, but I wanted to talk about some, like, your story. <laughs> oh, you about <had> actual questions? <laughs> no, not really. I was like, it's interesting, though. This is not like, I was like, oh, I want to talk to Jason about this. But no, but I do want to talk about, yeah, I mean, how you did. So when what brought you out to LA? Because you've been out here for a long time.
1: Yeah, right? 13 years. Um, I mean, I originally came out for acting and music because that's okay. what I was doing in Chicago. I was doing it in Detroit.
0: Okay, so you moved from Detroit to Chicago when you were how
1: 21.
0: To,
1: to do, actually, I went on a film scholarship, so I was a filmmaker. And then Where did was, you go to school? Uh, Columbia, Columbia in Chicago. That's where I went. You, wait, For what? sound.
0: I went to Columbia College. Are you serious? Yeah.
1: What years? Uh, 99 to
0: 2003. Holy I think I shit.
1: We were there at the exact same time, <laughs> Tricia. Oh <laughs> my funny, God. That's funny. I have a
0: lot of friends in the film we program that I'm still friends with. We were there at the exact same
1: time. I was there from nine, uh, 98 to 2000.
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: That's a trip. How do we not know this about each other?
0: I wasn't, when you, as soon as you said Chicago though, I was like, whoa, did you go to Columbia? Yes. I loved Columbia.
1: Columbia was, I, dude, as an arts college, it was amazing. Yeah. Where did you live when you were in Chicago? What part of the city? So the
0: first year, freshman year, I lived in their dorms. And at that time they only had the one building, Plymouth Court. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, and I first went for music business because I knew I wanted to do sound, but I didn't know what it was. And I love that Chico- that the the campus was like in Chicago in a city. Like I didn't want to like go to like some state school or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'm moving to a city. <laughs> um. So I g- found music business program. And then I started working at House of Blues right away in the store. And I was like, what you guys are doing up there, the concerts, that's what I want to do. And so I sort of like started working for free. And then I realized the summer between freshman and sophomore year, I never went home. I moved to, I moved into the dorms and then I was like, I'm not coming home. So my parents cut me off. (laughs) (laughs) I had to pay my own rent and pay for everything at that point. They were, you know, um, and, um, worked at house of blues in the summer was like doing my own internship. And that summer I realized that Columbia also had a sound program that even had a live sound program. So, Whoa. um, like a month before class was about to start, I switched all my courses into the new sound, into sound from the management music business that I was doing. Wow. Yeah. And so that, at that point I moved, i like moved in, that was like pre Craigslist. There was like newspaper you found rent. I moved in with two older guys somewhere. I moved out of like the dorm to, to like moved in with two older guys above a like smoothie soup restaurant where it was second city based it was in it was right down the street from second City. oh yeah 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 and then from there then i moved back and i I moved all around yeah every i moved every year that's
1: amazing (laughs) Uh, that's a trip that we were there at the exact same that's (laughs) that's mind blowing and and that is funny i mean so i was gigging in a band at that time called a modern joy Oh, and so funny. there's a high probability that you and I might have been like at the Metro at the same time oh, or yeah. like, yep. no, like well, for okay, real, that's a metro. trip to think. I think like,
0: especially if you ever like opened at House of Blues or anything. Then we never played of House
1: of Blues. We never played. House, but that's that's a trip, though. Damn.
0: OK, so you moved to Chicago, <laughs> yeah. did the film program, and then we're also in a band. Yeah. And, and, and
1: then and then I also like was I so I had been a student filmmaker in high school uh, in Detroit. Oh, we, okay. had, we had an amazing film and video program that's in cool. high school. But uh, as I was doing it and as I was making films, I was like, I actually like acting a lot better. So, I changed and started doing acting and was doing theater and was doing improv in Chicago. Uh, I actually auditioned Oh, so for- you,
0: once you got to Chicago, that's when you realized you liked acting. Yeah. Not in high school. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so I, was doing, I was doing acting. I was uh, blah, 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 singing in bands there. And but then, you were still
0: doing the film program, or
1: no? no. I changed. Oh. I changed. So I I switched. So I ended up with a degree in um in marketing and theater. Oh. In marketing and theater, I I I literally I remember being in script writing in screenwriting class and being like, I don't really this isn't inv- I, I want to be in this thing. I don't want to be writing. I want to be in the thing. So um so yeah, I just I changed to acting and started doing improv and and was doing theater and um and auditioning. I actually auditioned for, um, for second city. I didn't make it though. That was, that was tough. Cause I was like, really,
0: I'm sure that was super like, hard to get into though.
1: Yeah. But I was, I was like, I'm going to do this shit. I'm yeah. going to get into second city, but I actually went back to Detroit to, um, to take a job at an advertising agency as a copywriter. Oh, and I was singing in garage. How Man. did
0: that happen?
1: Well, with the marketing degree.
0: Okay. Right? So you graduated, moved yeah. back to Detroit because yep. you had a job. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I was doing the, the copywriting thing, working as a writer, uh, singing in garage bands in Detroit. And then um, a few more years went by and I was like, I can't, like, what am I doing? Like, I, I hate winter. I can't do this shit anymore. This is the bane of my existence. And then I had a breakdown uh, one day in the street in the middle of winter in Detroit in December of 2004. And I was like, I'm done. I'm fucking done. And then in September of '05, I um, loaded up my Honda Prelude and just and and had a huge garage sale and sold a ton of my stuff and made like five five thousand dollars at this garage sale. It's best garage That's sale. That's my life. garage sale. <laughs> It's a damn good garage sale. And I just I moved out west and I was you like, I didn't I'm, have
0: a job or anything. No,
1: no, I had I had a little bit of money saved up and I was like, I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna move out. So September of '05. I came out and originally, the original idea was, yeah, I'm going to do acting okay. and I'm going to do music. And I was auditioning and, uh, I actually joined a new band out here, but was not making a damn lick of money. And I was like, what am I going to do? Because this cost of living is not something I'm used to. So I did, uh, I did something that I felt was going to be really reliable, which is, um, uh, and, and very solid financially in 2005, which was to go to culinary school and become a vegan chef. Cause that was a solid game plan in 2005.
0: Wow. Solid game plan. Solid. Wow. Yeah. You
1: can be a vegan chef. It's dude, what the Back hell then, what the was hell? definitely
0: would have been still like, what's vegan, right? There oh, probably for weren't sure. even like vegan restaurants. There were, I mean, you know, couple. five,
1: but the idea of like going and getting a culinary education and being a vegan chef was like, are you, so? Out where of did that go? come
0: from? You were obviously vegan.
1: I was, I'd, so I'd, yeah, I'd been vegan since nine ninety eight. 98. So, um, so for my whole thing was like, I need to pay the bills somehow. And like acting and music is like barely bringing in any right, money. That does and seem I'm, more
0: of a, Even though you're like, what vegan chef? It's still like, that's something, chef, whatever, get a job, even though there wasn't many vegan restaurants or things to do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I went, I ended up going to culinary school and, 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 uh, and got, uh, got a job offer to go back to Detroit to open a restaurant there. So I went back to Detroit to open a restaurant.
0: So wait, how does, so you finished, how long was this program?
1: Um, the culinary school was, uh, was a month and a half. Oh, it's a month and a half culinary school. Yeah. And it was in LA. No, it was up in Northern California okay. Yep. So I went up to Northern Cal, came back to LA, and then got a job offer to open a restaurant in Detroit. How
0: did that happen? Did you, just, did you know somebody in Detroit or was uh, that a totally random- It was
1: a random Craigslist that post. That happened to- go- Random Craigslist post.
0: That you read? Yes. But it was in LA or Detroit? In Detroit. Why were you reading Craigslist posts for Detroit? Because
1: I was looking for a restaurant to work in.
0: <laughs> and you were either like LA or Detroit or were you- okay.
1: I was just putting it out there. Um <laughs> like why and so i so i went back to detroit to open (laughs) this restaurant and then
0: a vegan restaurant
1: yeah and then my girlfriend at the time was living in new york city and it was like this whole like well we we need to shit shit or get off the pot type thing because like this long distance thing is not working so i quit that job and moved to moved to new york city to be with her and then she ended up getting a job offer at google which you don't turn down a google job offer so we went back to the bay I did not enjoy living in Silicon Valley at all. Okay. I ended up working at a hemp store oh. to make ends meet. And then was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to be like, LA is where I've all, like, I just knew in my heart, like something was like, you need to be in LA. So then I moved back to LA on April Fool's day, 2007. And I haven't left.
0: So you broke up too, or oh, yeah. did you try to do Oh, long definitely. Long okay. Yeah,
1: definitely. It was, it was my, my, my love language. My number one love language is physical touch. So long distance work for me. it doesn't <laughs> work i learned the hard way it's like you can only do so much with skype i mean you can do a lot with okay, skype and okay. facetime We're not going to get into the details but but physical intimacy like you know if it's not there i mean it's tough for me so that's that's a sidebar
0: so you move back to la 2007 as a certified vegan chef mm-hmm. yep. is that then what you decide to pursue the most
1: or? yeah like i was so I I was still singing in bands, still performing in bands, but it was, you know, it was not like paying the rent. It was like, this is my passion. Like, I love performing. I love it. But it was not providing the sustenance financially I needed to. So, I ended up starting um, a catering business with a good friend of mine. And then that evolved into personal chefing. A vegan
0: catering business. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm guessing there were probably not too many back then. It
1: was. This was like, this was like, oh, eight. And at that time, we were doing festivals and events and weddings. And there oh, was wow. actually enough demand that we were getting booked for a lot of yeah, events. No, I'm, doing. Trying to, I'm
0: like going back in my life of 2008. Like, yeah, I think 2008 was probably too when I was like starting into like raw stuff. Oh, for sure. 100%. I was like, we're in LA. Yes. For sure. Everybody was, like was a raw, raw back then. Stuff
1: yeah. 08 was like, everyone's a raw. raw food raw is raw.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and so so the many iterations was like restaurant business, catering business, personal chefing, uh, working with celebrities. And but then, where did
0: that gumption though, too, to come back to be like, you just moved back to LA and be like, let's just start our own company making food. Was that more from you or the friend or you both were just like, let's just do this. What yeah, else are we going to do? Yeah.
1: Both of us were like, let's let's like rock and roll. Like, let's do this. Let's and do this. And how
0: did you get it started? I mean- You just start reaching out to people and tell them this is what we do.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Like, like with festivals and events and things like that. Like, uh, what did
0: festivals meaning? Like there's some.
1: Like lightning in a bottle. So you'd have like like a
0: stand there. Or like an
1: earth day festival or a vegan festival.
0: It's like, would be similar. Yeah. Like you have a tent stand. You're like, oh, we're selling this for this. Vegan tacos, $5. I don't know. I'm just making sure. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, and then we would also do weddings and private events and things like that. And, uh, and it was a ton of work. I mean, it was, it was like a backbreaking psychotic amount of work.
0: Yeah. Like, I would assume, cause especially when doing festivals like that, that's like, you're not even out of kitchen. You have to prepare for like your cooking stuff ahead for of time like or reheating thousands of or people. like hitting, yeah. Being out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was like, even thinking about it now, my body is like, thank God we're not doing that anymore. Oh my God. It was like, it was, it was, it was hardcore. Um, but the thing, the thing that really, um, was a turning point for me was, was in all seriousness, you know, social media and the, the rabid, fervent explosion of food media, of oh, yeah. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, video content.
0: Especially back when it was like, sorry, it was like so much food pics.
1: <laughs> oh my God. It was, it was, but, but to me, like that was the culmination though, of like the acting experience and the performing and the food. And, and that led to the TV series I had on cooking channel which was like the first primetime vegan series ever, ever wow. like in history. But that was, that was me like, oh, I get to act, yeah. I get to perform, I get to sing, I get to be a goofball, I get to make food. Yeah. Like that was such a blessing because I was able to hybridize all of those talents and everything that I love doing into one vehicle. That was so fun. And, and that was like really when, yeah, things changed YouTube and Instagram and, and, you know, just, and still to this day, like food media and foodies and, and the obsession our culture has with food. And nutrition and wellness. Yeah, I was like, and and now on top of that,
0: there's even more like obsession with wellness and mindfulness
1: and like the whole enchilada. And it was like, okay, you know, like I'm, I'm going to go like full on into this. And, uh, and I, and listen, I'm much, I'm much happier now getting to do those things because, um, you know, the restaurant business and the catering business and all that stuff was like, that was not the world ultimately I wanted to live in. You
0: know, when did you transition out of doing that?
1: That was 2010. 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Because I actually got, I actually got a couple gigs, um, uh, doing celebrity personal chefing and those gigs like paid well enough. And where that I was would like, be
0: like, does that mean like they're having a dinner party or like every week or like, you know, you make dinner five days a week or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, one, one person was like, come in like a couple times a week and just batch prep a bunch of food. Got it. But then other situations were like, I'm working on two movies. Can you be here every single day to like make me food while I'm on set?
0: Got
1: it. So it, it varied depending on the client, but um. And
0: did you like that, or were you like, "This is awesome, and I'm getting a paycheck"? But you like?
1: Oh no, I I, I really, I mean, I I liked it in the sense that, like, first of all, I, I I got to really like cater cater to the needs of like an individual person, and like learn about their lives, and like nutrify them, and help them do their best. And and I was pretty blessed that all the people I've had a chance to intimately work with, like see their lives, and be in their house, and meet their families, have been great people. Like I. I get asked, like oh, you, like, oh, you got any juice or any, any gossip on blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no. Like, everyone that I've had the chance to work for on that level of celebrity has treated me very well and has been very lovely to work for. I mean, you see sides of them you probably don't see in the news media because you're in their home and yeah. you're seeing who they are. But I've never had like a nightmare, you know, knock on wood, I've never had a nightmare client. Thank God.
0: But what transitioned you? Like, if you did love it, I mean, was it, do you feel like you were like seeking more or like what transitioned you out of doing that? To- yeah.
1: You know what it was is like I realized that if I was serving someone else in that capacity on that level every single day I was not working on my own shit. I was not shooting my own YouTube videos. I was not working on my cookbook. I was not, you know, writing the treatments for the pilot that eventually became like I was not working on my dreams and my vision so had
0: these other dreams and visions and they just kept getting put on hold by saying yes to awesome opportunities.
1: Yeah. Because like, Oh, I get to work with this celebrity and budgets, no object. And they're paying me how much. And like, you know, to a degree, kind of the golden handcuffs of like, I, and I do have other friends that are unbelievable chefs in the city. Um, but they're, you know, they're and, and I don't say but and they're choosing to stay in those worlds because the paycheck is so good. But as a result, you're like, ah, oh, I still want to publish my cookbook and I still want to like start a YouTube channel and da da da. But it's hard to do that when you're working in somebody else's house the entire day, catering to their needs and their family, and you get back at the end of the day and you're just like, where is the energy and the focus going to come from? So I had to make a decision ultimately where it was like, yo, I've got these dreams and these visions and these projects. And if I stay in this world catering to other people, that shit ain't going to get done. Yeah. It's yeah. just not going to get done. That's
0: what, yeah. Like sometimes you have to say no to awesome opportunities or things even that you're loving because you feel like there's something more that is a curiosity that's driving you that you want to.
1: Yeah. And it's not like a walk in the park, right? Because then the things of like, and where's the know. money? Where's the yeah. money going to come from? Is and you have, oh my out. God, like the fears. It's like when you take the leap of faith. Yes. The net does appear. But what also appears for me is these horrific primal fears about taking care of myself. And where is the, it's like, but look, that's it's there to be looked at and dealt with. And I think if you train yourself to acknowledge the fear and do it anyway, you know, I love Elizabeth Gilbert's framing that she had in, in her book, Big Magic, where it's like this whole idea, and I'm paraphrasing Elizabeth big time here, but the idea that we're going to be fearless and this bullshit rhetoric and our culture of like, no fear, be fearless. I'm like, stop it. You're full of shit. It's, it's no such thing. There's no yeah. such thing. It's acknowledging the fear that is going to always be there. But instead of letting it drive and control the radio, you're like, yo, you're actually going to go in the back seat and we're going to strap you in in a child seat and you're not going to get to control the radio and you sure as hell aren't going to drive, but you're going to be there. And I know, and I'm going to, I'll hand you snacks. Like you're cool. But the idea that we need to kill our fear or kill our ego or do these things, I personally disagree with it wholeheartedly. Same. It's acknowledging it and learning how to dance with it and manage it and have it in our lives, but not letting it steer the whole time. Yeah. That's how I view it.
0: No, same. And that's, again, it's, again, like, acknowledging, acknowledging them is the first key. And that's one of my first phrases was, fuck your fears and, like, so well received and i was like i wanted to make sure i was like i hope people aren't acting like fuck your fears like you don't have them but it's no it's more like i see you fear <laughs> yeah but i got it i'm gonna keep going <laughs> i hear you loud and clear i see you're trying to protect me in some ways too i get that i get that i get that but i'm gonna keep on going yep. fuck you
1: <laughs> yeah yeah fuck you like yeah with the, you do not get radio <laughs> privileges i do not want to listen to country music all day on the ride to sedona okay i don't i don't long break my heart my eight whoa billy ray cyrus again really fear Thanks. No.
0: Got it. So what are you working on these days?
1: I am working on getting my next book sold.
0: Oh, awesome. Which
1: um, is all about mental wellness and emotional health through food and nutrition and mindfulness.
0: Oh. So really taking
1: all of the experience and everything I've gone through with clinical depression the last five years and the research I've done and, and my own personal journey of what foods and practices and strategies can we employ to holistically address mental health because that conversation has gained a lot of momentum in the past two years, which I'm, I'm grateful that it has with a lot of musicians and actors and celebrities and athletes coming out about their depression and their mental health struggles. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. What I haven't seen a lot of yet. And the niche I would like to fill is holistic solutions to that. And it's not being done under this idea of poo-pooing pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, that for, for my opinion, long-term, long-term, that if we can address this through food and mindfulness practices and meditation and optimizing our food intake, we can manage mental and emotional health in a, in a much more proactive way where we don't have to rely on pharmaceutical approaches. Yeah. Because long-term, pharmaceutically, is, statistically, has shown not the greatest return on investment.
0: I want to get into all that. No, I'm not a fan of pharmaceuticals in general, but I do believe like, yeah, there are some times you need it. And even um, the the guest that that is live this week on my podcast, Jen Pasteloff, she's vocal about the fact that she does use antidepressants and that they changed her life. And then she even tried to get back off them because she got back into yoga and all these things and like went back into depression and it's like... So I think it's great to like know the both, but yeah, for maybe just not like everybody, oh, I'm feeling this way. I've labeled it now give me some drugs. Yes. That, yeah. Like yes. look into it deeper and that some people might still need to take that, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, to look at it as a whole and to not just be like, let me just go to the doctor. They can write something to fix Bingo.
1: This. Exactly. Yeah, is yeah. I want people to look at emotional wellness and mental health from a, from a much more um, multidimensional, holistic perspective of there are so many potential causalities for what's going on in terms of our neurotransmitter function and our unresolved trauma and somatically what's getting stored in the body. There's oh so God. many layers to this conversation and I'm by no means an expert, but I do want to put out a book talking about some potential ways we can address it. So that's the one thing, you know, book-wise I'm working on. Um, I have a podcast that's launching this month actually. Oh, exciting. With my business partner, my best friend, Whitney Lauritsen.
0: Very cool. And you and Whitney... Used to be a couple, we right? did and yes, I many years love, ago many years ago. I've always like I think when I first met you, you guys were a couple, that's correct. and so in my mind, like I'd, i always like was like, oh, Jason and Whitney or whatever, and so over the years, it's been really cool for me, and I'm sure anybody that's followed you guys to see you pop up in each other's lives like all the time that I feel like that's so special, and I always like I'm like, oh, like I just feel the sweetness when in there. so what has that been like though, too, to be in a You were in a relationship for how long?
1: Um, We dated on and off for three years, 2012 to 2015. Yeah. Mostly on, a little bit off. It was tumultuous.
0: And were you... (laughs) With the, was the friendship right after? Did it take some time for you guys to be back in your lives the way you are? Because now it seems like you are very.
1: It was a, lo- it so was a long. It was a long transition. Either. It was a long transition, but there was a lot of communication and a lot of of checking in about like how does this feel to you and like starting to date other people and and that whole thing. But I so so full disclosure. I'm actually really really close um, friends with three of my previous partners, and actually really good and cordial and friendly with the great majority of them. There's two that, you know, it's just not meant to be for right now. But I, my philosophy is this, because people are like, how can you do this? Like, this is, you know, because I think we have a cultural conditioning of like, you break up with someone and you cut them out of your life, yeah. right? There's a conditioning there. Which if, I
0: don't understand either.
1: For me, if there's a genuine, deep love that's been established with someone, even though the expression of that love changes, even though I'm not romantically intimate or sexually intimate with you, the basis of love is still there. So for me to cut you out of my life and say, I never want to see you again, doesn't make sense to me. So with Whitney in particular, we realized that there was an overlap of passions and expertise and wisdom. And we actually realized like, this is actually like, we feel more like brother and sister (laughs) and we want to actually create stuff together because we're both passionate about many of the same things. So um, with her, uh, with my good friend Ellie, with my friend Nicole, and and several other my exes, it's like, I want you to be happy. I want you to have an amazing life. Like I love you as a being, even though we're not intimate and partnered. Like I adore you yeah. as a human being, and I want the best for you. And I just I've never understood the mentality of I'm gonna cut you out of my life, and you're like you're dead to me now. I never understood that.
0: Yeah, me neither. And I'm the same way. Anyone that I ever had any sort of dating, whatever you know, experience with, then it was like, well, there was something about them that like, even if it didn't work out and we realized, okay, you are not for me or that, you know, whatever it was supposed to be. That was just like, there was some part of them that, or whatever that I love them and I respect them. And I only want the best for them. And like, yeah, it's just like, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing if there's obviously some very terrible relationships and then you realize you like weren't safe from people, but like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, I always, it's not, and you don't have to be best friends and be in each other's lives so fully like you two are, but right. yeah, like just be sending, like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. I'm good. I'm happy for you. And Want to check in on those people and make sure that they're thriving. Yeah,
1: and and just with the podcast coming out, um, it's called "This Might Get Uncomfortable." Oh, Uh, so we're talking about a lot of. I mean, the the topics are pretty much. I mean, if we had to have a central theme, it is around emotional wellness, mental wellness, taking responsibility, and talking about drastically uncomfortable things in life. Yeah. Um, Because I I think there's a lot of healing there, and there's a lot of of gold to be mined in willfully choosing to talk about really uncomfortable things. So. Um, we're launching at the end of June and we have a new brand that is kind of spearheading this called Wellevator. It's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Um, and yeah, actually like if anybody wants to check it out, we actually have a a really amazing ebook that we're giving away to people, um, called you are enough. So people can go to the website. We also have a really cool thing that people
0: podcast probably won't even your podcast will probably be live when this episode goes up. Will it? Yeah. Oh, dope. Yeah yeah
1: okay great so we
0: can link to your new podcast that
1: would be amazing
0: and to Wellevator that would be amazing yeah yay, yay, everything yay. all your things
1: and then what else the last thing I'm working on right right now is, um, is music is I'm, I'm actually um, writing new stuff on piano and guitar uh, I'm going into the studio this month to oh. record a new song and that feels good so music you know music to me there's no expectation of you know being a rock star there's no expectation music is gonna make me a damn dime but it's in my heart, and it's always going to be there. And I love to sing, and I love to songwrite, and I love to perform, and whatever that wants to do is fine. I just I realize that that's something that I need to do because it's like soul food for me. And however it's received, or however many gigs I play, or whatever, like it's not. I don't have this like burning desire like I did at twenty one of like I need to be a rock star and I'm make say, money is that's at this. Something that
0: you've struggled with throughout the years of your relationship to music yeah. and what you were meant to be doing absolutely
1: because uh, like i feel like when i was young uh or er, <laughs> i still feel young but you know early 20s like let's say 20 years ago being in bands it was like we're gonna fucking take over the world we're gonna be rock stars we're gonna do this thing and you know there's all these a and r people showing up to our gigs and and at that time it was like in detroit was like all these bands getting signed that's when wow. the white stripes broke oh wow that's when the von bondys that's when the black keys like we were playing gigs with those bands. Crazy. Like that was the scene. So it was this energy in Detroit at that time of like, anybody can get signed right now. Seymour Stein from Sire Records and, and you know people from New York and LA showing up to like random dirt bars, like these record execs showing up, right? So it was this idea of we've got to get signed. We've got to make millions of dollars. We've got to be rock stars. And it's not about that at all. Like 20 years after, it's about me sitting in that room, playing my piano and playing a guitar and looking for the truth. And if I can somehow touch or graze that truth a little bit and share it with others, that to me is more of what it's about now. Not like this rock star dream. Like I just want to, I want to somehow tap that wellspring of truth and share it with
0: people. Like you're doing it for how it feels to you and not like, what can this get for me? What will people think exactly. of me? Exactly. What is this? Yeah. And
1: me. when I was young, that's all it was about. That's all it was about. Like I, the love of the music was there, but the layers on top of it were Love me, approve of me, buy my record, yeah, come to my gig, get signed, be a rock star. Like, and all that was was honestly like this externalization of the love and approval and significance I wanted from my father. It was like this classic thing of why do so many people move to Hollywood? Like for and and I'm not I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's true. Like for for every traumatized, young, beautiful person that moves to Hollywood, it's like, well, why do you want to be famous? Like do you want to be famous because you want to like affect lives in this world, or is it like and I'm saying this for me, I had to examine this for myself yeah. of like no, I'm actually trying to chase the approval, affection, and significance I wanted from my dad. That's why I want to be famous.
0: and you would if you would have been the biggest thing in the world, you still would have <laughs> been had that void.
1: And for real, like I feel like that might have fucked me up even more because this i and, and I think that for a lot of the celebrities that have taken their lives, the past I think there's Michael Hutchins from NXS said this years ago and he he took his own life in the 90s, was like, imagine that you have lived and manifested and created all of your wildest dreams and beyond, like beyond, and you're still not happy. Imagine that. Like that has got to be a horrifying place to be.
0: That horrifying. was what me started all of this for me.
1: Was, was it really seeing that? What do you mean?
0: So I was a sound engineer touring with people living their biggest, wildest dreams and seeing that they still weren't happy.
1: What did that do for you? Like, what was your perception of that?
0: Well, it didn't happen until my father died suddenly. And then, cause I had already created all of these tools and stuff for myself. I I grew up with, in chronic pain that was finally diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18. I almost took my own life when I was 15 and I decided I was going to try life a different way, not caring so much to what people think. Being, I don't need you out in the world. <laughs> but also realizing I had so much physical pain that I couldn't deal with the mental pain I was creating for myself of like trying so hard to fit in. What music am I supposed to like, look like this, say to be cool, to fit in so people will love me, like me, so I can be popular, this, that. And of course, levels of that stuck around, but I very much decided to live my own life. And then so my self-love exploration and self-care exploration started at 15 and kept getting stronger. And how can I feel my feel better my body? I really had a big dream to become a sound engineer but even though I didn't know what it was. So that drove me to, I have to get out of bed even though I feel like shit. So how can I do this? Because I really want to live my life. So I, I was constantly learning these different ways to take care of myself through what I was putting into my body, but also paying attention to my thoughts. The only judge of me is me came from being 19 at House of Blues, trying to be a female sound engineer and everybody thinking I was a joke. What does this young girl think? This is not a profession. Like that I had to be grounded in who I was and that I was trying and who I was shut to, even though everybody was judging me Yeah. based on what are you doing here? So all of my lessons were always from all of that. And when my father passed away, suddenly it. I was like, I have to do more with my life. I... Love that I get paid to tour the world with these artists doing sound, but I also knew I was like ready to get past that. And I would be like, oh, maybe I'll be a tour manager. I tried that. Maybe I'll be the production coordinator. Um, But I still like loved the music world and that energy. But when he passed away, I was like, I have to do more. I'm seeing these people that are living their biggest dreams and they're not happy. Most of the people I'm touring with aren't happy. Or I'm in airports every day with people that aren't happy. Everybody's just like walking through their lives like they're dead and they could die tomorrow. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I took time off and, you know, I got certified ZO teacher. I got really into making raw food.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I really did a lot of things. And then I took it back to the only world I knew, which was touring. So that's how I went back on tour as a joyologist, calling people out. Like I made them all vegan meals. I led them through yoga, made their dressing room nice. But I also was the person that was like, hey, what's going on with you? Mm. Let's talk about it. Mm. Like. In in that world too, it was whoever the boss was, the person paying your bills, if they were in a bad mood, everybody was walking around on eggshells. You can't talk to that person. You can't ask them what's wrong. What if they don't like you? They fire you, whatever. You don't know what's going to happen. So I made a point of putting myself in uncomfortable situations that I was giving them healing things for their body. Drink this, do this yoga. Let's do this. But also let's talk about shit because I saw these people living their biggest dreams were still not Mm. happy. Mm. And so that's what has motivated (laughs) a lot of my work was like, I've seen people that have it all and they're still not happy. So if we're all working around like, Oh, this, once I get this, then I'll be happy. Once I get this person loves me. Once I have kids, once I have this career, once I move to LA, once I have this car, then finally I will be enough. I will feel worthy. I will be fulfilled.
1: I'm still playing that game.
0: That i'm w- still playing
1: that game uh, honestly
0: up to us to claim it for ourselves <laughs>
1: <laughs> every day honestly every
0: day every day
1: i was uh, yeah boy <laughs> mm, the rabbit hole has no bottom the rabbit hole has no bottom
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay let's go to <laughs> the questions i ask uh everybody well i'll well, first start with the keychain which you sort of already talked about. You chose. I have everybody choose which keychain, not even which phrase they love the most, but which one they need to be reminded of the most right now. And you already told us, but I want to share more about it.
1: I am enough. Yeah, that's that's something that is an important mantra and reminder for me because that's the core wound that I am still decoding, unraveling, struggling with, trying to love more. Is this idea again from? young childhood, that if I was just enough and I was good enough, then my family would have stayed together, and none of this would have happened. So it's still the thing that affects not only my career and my creative endeavors, right? It affects how I show up in my intimate relationships. Any time I buy into the story and the illusion that I'm not enough, and if I just do X, y, and Z, I will be enough. So the reason I chose it is because that's as deep as it gets for me. In my, in my current awareness, that's as deep as it gets.
0: Yep, oh, yep. it's a deep one for me too. <laughs> oh, this is all just me feeling like I'm not enough. <laughs> Who can make me feel like I'm enough? Oh, that's me. Oh, that's
1: right. The person in the mirror with the gray in his beard. That guy. That guy. Where'd that gray come from? Uh, should I dye it? Should I leave it? Uh, I don't know. I'll leave it.
0: Um, what is a go-to for you to raise your joy levels when you're feeling off, sad, not enough?
1: Singing and dancing, automatic, automatic music. So, so music to me, um, I mean, when in doubt, Stevie Wonder,
0: <laughs> love it.
1: When in doubt, Stevie Wonder, it, 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 the right music, and I say the right music because yeah. I, I have my core playlist of people, right? Of, of the things, it's an instant state change. If I turn on the, the right song and I get into my body and I sing it out and I dance it out, instant state change. Yeah. Like, I can't be, love it. If, if I, if I put on like, Whatever. Signed, sealed, delivered. I put on Marvin Gaye. I put on some funk. I put on whatever it it is, right? I can't be upset in that moment. I can't. My body won't allow it. It's like an instant state of being change. So, for me, getting in my body, dancing, singing my ass off, putting on a good song, music is a lifesaver. And I don't say that lightly, whether it's going to see music, whether it's making music with people, whether it's just me alone in this house dancing my ass off, music is the game changer. That automatically infuses more joy in my life.
0: I love that, and that you know the song because I have like a thirty-three day email program, or no, a thirty-day email program. But it's only thirty-two dollars. That's why I thought it. But every day, it's like a remi- It's like a way to look at your life. It's called "I Am Connected to Me," like to get reconnected to yourself. And one of the days is think about what music. Like, what do you have your go-to song? Uh-huh. Like to have that ready. Like, what's a go-to song that you can like get in your car and like, you know? Because for me, when I'm in my car and a song comes on, I just start singing. It then I'm like, oh, it's like the full presence Because normally it's like, okay, what am I doing? Did I do this? And I, what do you know? It's like your mind can go into so many different places. And when you're singing a song out loud for me, it's usually when I'm in my car, then it's like, you're like, it's just pure joy. Like you're so present just like in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the like things in my days is like, what's the, what's the song? Like get that song, download that song, know that song.
1: 100, 100 (laughs) songs. It's true. Like, like uh, a playlist whatever. Bob Marley had, had that, um, uh, I don't remember the name, but you know, hit me with music. Like, When the music hits me, I feel no pain. Like, when the music hits you, you feel no pain. And, like, for real, you talk about the presence, right? Yeah. You're in the middle of, like, one of your favorite songs, and you're just grooving. Like, pain doesn't exist. I mean, the pain is there, but, like... It's transcendent in a way, right? To your
0: cells, that's like okay. When the song ends, you're probably going to still feel something, but it's just like this different thing transforms. Like, oh, hey, body, mind, remember that there's space for joy. Other feelings exist. You feel really locked in this right now. I know know it, it I know it's hard, (laughs) and you're feeling a lot. But hey, joy exists. These other things exist, and it does create a different openness. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um. I had this thought that I've been asking everybody it was something I wrote on Instagram a while ago and it's been fun to get people's responses. Okay. The statement was what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Can you think of a way to apply, apply that to your own life? What yeah. is easiest for you is not always what is best.
1: Okay, for you. so the, the I'll spin it in the sense that one of my one of my great mentors who has he is a father figure to me. He's more of a father to me than than anyone has ever been in my life. Um, his name is Michael Park, and he's here in LA. He's just an incredible being. He said that there is a difference, oftentimes, between what is pleasurable and what is good, and that sometimes when you say easy, I think of pleasurable, but there's times when I can choose the pleasurable choice, but that is not in the highest good, and I often need to employ some discernment between like what would be what would be easy for me is to like coast through life just doing what's in my comfort zone be easy right but every single year i inevitably for new years rather than making like resolutions per se i make um a list of fears and a list of discomforts
0: wow
1: and i do my best to do the things on the list that scare the shit out of me or make me radically uncomfortable and do those instead of resolutions so when you say like easy what comes to my mind is like staying in my lane, staying in my zone, doing what comes naturally cuz it's like effortless. Yep. But that to me doesn't feel like it invites a whole lot of growth. And uh a, an Ayurvedic practitioner years ago during a period of, of horrific stress was like, "Yeah, you know, like you check the growth box on the way into this place, this reality, right? You check the growth box." So, when I, when I hear easy, like, um, it's not to say we can't have moments of ease and grace, but I'm not in the, I'm, I'm trying to call myself on my own bullshit spiritual bypassing in life where everything's like, ease, grace, ease, grace, ease, grace, ease, grace. Well, then there's no challenges. Yeah. If everything's ease and grace, like, where's the growth and where's the challenge? So, whenever I hear like easy and graceful, I'm like, i like easy and graceful. But I'm also not deluding myself into thinking that everything's going to be easy and graceful all the time. Because yeah. to me, that feels like spiritual bypassing.
0: Yeah. I will use the application if there's something that I'm like, oh, fuck, I really want to do this, but it's, I'm seeing it as stressful then to look into it like how can i approach this with the feelings mm. of ease or the feelings of grace so that's how i would apply that just for anybody who's like but no there is place because I, I do and for me that was like a a big word for me for many years was like i'm gonna do this with ease because i would get stressed out like ah, especially I when i first became a mom and i had like business goals for myself and i was then becoming a mom i was so like how the fuck am i gonna do these things yeah what am i doing and so I was just like, okay, my word for the year is ease. Okay. I can do this with ease because it usually it is like we can do anything with the feeling of this is so fucking hard or okay, how can I see this with ease and what it was ease and um, I was trying to think of another word that I used a lot in those years that made me be like, let me just look at this with this way, freedom. Ease and freedom because it would be like I have to do it in this. And it's like, mm. do it how you want to. Do it with free. Like you can do it, whatever. You don't have to reply to emails as soon as they come in. You can do it at 9 PM. Who the fuck cares? Like yes. whatever. Like <laughs>
1: yes. No, and I like I like the way that you're framing it in that attitude. With um, a lot of cost words. No. No, no, <laughs> Just it, kidding. It, it is good because realizing that that through our perspective and through our assessments of life. We can create the qualities around it. Like you can either be a victim or you can be empowered, right? You can see something as it's going to destroy my life or it's going to make me stronger. So your perspective on it is great. The, the, the issue that I have, I guess, is, is it might sound like a judgment, but I feel like sometimes people throw a wa- around certain concepts of mindfulness, not being fully anchored in it No. of like ease and grace. Everything's amazing. Everything's beautiful all the time. And it's like,
0: no bullshit. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and. There are times when it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. So I, I'm uh, in my exploration. I'm not. Um, it's not that I want things to be challenging all the time. Hell no. No God no. But um, but I'm just trying to be authentic when people ask me, like, how are you doing? Like, it's such a simple question. Oh, instead of instead of <laughs> instead of thinking like, oh, everything's great. I like- do too. I do too. I do too. Because I want to <laughs> answer them <laughs> honestly. Nervous. I want to answer them honestly. You know what I mean? Um. So when I when I hear about ease, yes, I I. I do like when things are easy. I like to sit in a hammock in the tropics with a coconut and a beautiful human being sitting in me in that hammock as much as anybody. And I also realize that like life also brings an equal amount of challenges too. But to your point, rather than getting stressed and anxious and like spun out, maybe we can see our challenges as joyful or fun or exciting rather than debilitating.
0: Yep. But uh, yeah, no, like you answered it like great. And, and I wasn't trying to be like.
1: Devil's advocate. <laughs>
0: and I wasn't trying to be like, I don't buy into that because I totally do. But I also am like, hey, there's different people listening out to them. And I don't want anybody to get it cut up. But like nothing can be easy then if I'm growing, whatever. And so then I was like, because I get the my like, let me just sprinkle everything. You can do everything with these and whatever. And that is a bunch of like yeah, spiritual bypassing bullshit, whatever. (laughs) It's like maybe some of the times, but then it's like faking it. Like you can't be faking it. It's going to come back up how we said the silent before pushing things down or whatever. So, but I was just, so I wasn't trying to say that wasn't right. And you're looking at, but I was just like, Oh, Hey, since we're there for sure. and people, if you're playing with the words ease and grace, here's how you can apply. And I love
1: that you did (laughs) that way. And honestly, when you said it, I was like, yeah, that feels right. That yeah. feels good That feels good <laughs> But that
0: in, in that yeah It's not like Oh I gotta Always everything Has to be make challenging And I have to conquer All these things that we do But like you don't have to Make it be as hard on Hard for yourself As as it is Even if things are hard But like let Yeah Try to find ways To make it be Easier Yeah thriving. I dig it Okay The final question is What are you Claiming for yourself Right now Podcast title is Claim it
1: Mmm <sighs> Wow, you saved the juicy one for last. The big, the big, the big. Wow, what am I claiming for myself right now? Mm, I am claiming the trust in the magnificence of my creativity. That just by being in the act of creation and trusting that my creativity is leading me to exactly where I need to be, uh, how people receive my creativity. Art and creativity is not what matters. What matters is that I am saying yes to the urges and the whispers and the inklings of what wants to be birthed into the world through my man womb. And that in itself is enough. That's what I'm claiming.
0: Yeah. Love it. And I apologize. I did like a little giggle up and like, I was, <laughs> Oh, the like, man I wasn't womb part like, making fun of you, but I was like, Oh, that was kind of rude. He was getting like, really? <laughs> and I, like, giggled. But that's
1: what it feels like. Like bring something. I mean, uh, Unless I get turned into a male seahorse, like I was saying, like uh, I don't think I'll uh, giving birth to something creative is as close to maybe you know giving birth as I'll get in this lifetime. But that is what it feels like.
0: Oh, and since we started with the fear of fatherhood, I had a thought when you were talking and about how like you know you were talking about that pure love for your mother and her in her lioness mode and stuff, and how you guys have become best like really good friends. And seeing like, can you imagine what a gift? You are for your mother and a healer for her, and that allowing yourself to have that by being a father—just something uh, to think about as we end the podcast.
1: (laughs) As Tears stream down my face.
0: God, we don't need to record that. I'm just. Thanks for leaving with that with me for the rest of the day. (laughs) There you go for Jason Robel. Please go check him out. He's at Jason Robel, that's W-R-O-B-E-L on Instagram, which of course you can find this in the show notes as well, jo- jasonrobel.com, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, he's all over the place. And also check out his collaboration with his friend, Whitney Elevator. Of course, all things me are yourdrologist.com. I'm at yourdrologist on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to the episode please share it. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you. I love hearing from you. And please leave a review out of the podcast. And if you do, screenshot it and email it to me, podcast at yourjoylogist.com. Every week, I pick someone who left a review and sent it to me. You have to send it to me so I can contact you. <laughs> And then I will send you a box full of my goodies from my inspiring product line. Just like I have everyone pick a keychain. I have an affirmation deck, mugs, journals, wine glass, notepads, magnets, mugs. There's things that I can't remember. (laughs) So check out my product line. Leave a review. You might want a box full of goodies. Why the heck not? And I would love to hear from you. I'm going to finish the episode by asking you, what are you claiming for yourself right here, right now? Message it to me at your on Instagram.